welcome to episode 259 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Well, hello, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Doing very good. It's uh, a beautiful day here in Pasadena. Uh, recording here on Saturday, 2.30 p.m. A very, very lovely sunny day. Sunday? Saturday. Sunny day. Oh, sunny day. Sunny day, okay. not Sunday. So, it's been a month since we've done our last show. Seems that that's our new schedule. <laughs> What do you think? Probably should crank it up a little bit. It's pretty <laughs> slack. I mean, I've been really busy, and uh, then you were out of town, and I was out of town. So, I mean, there are reasons why we we fall behind. But yeah, we should probably do a, do a little more frequently than, especially once if we want to drum up numbers for the Texas Summit. Yeah, I think you're on. I think we want to shoot for at least once every other week. All right, It'll probably be the outside. Okay, you know. Uh, well, yeah, I guess we got uh, we got a fair number of responses on the whole texting summit idea yeah I, I, yeah we did and um i think that if, I, I do think if we did it once every two weeks a show once every two weeks that would that number would grow as well just from luck surface area point of view so are you going to um are you going to like set up like a sign up page or something like that or I mean, what are we going to do today are we, i i think probably what we need to do if you haven't put any thought into it is set up a page where if you reserve a spot, you know, hook it up to Stripe or PayPal or whatever, and you reserve a spot with like a hundred or two hundred dollars or whatever, and if we get, you know, some minimum number, whatever that is, whether it's ten, fifteen, twenty, or whatever the number, then we'll do it. If not, we'll refund the money. But then, um, you know, we'll, we'll say here are the hotels, and then we'll figure out, you know, we'll figure out a weekend first, and uh, kind of a loose idea for it. Cool. And where, right. what does the money go towards? Well. We could do a couple things. I mean, one, we could just do it t- towards food. Yeah. Right. So nice. let's idea. say let's say we go. Okay. Let's say we collect, you know, a hundred dollars and we get twenty people. I mean, I don't know if we'd have that many. Okay, so it's two thousand dollars. <throat> that might not pay for all of the food. If we had, let's say, we had like five or six meals, but it might say, okay, it'll cover a certain certain substantial fraction. I don't think a hundred is enough, and the and the reason why is. Because I think that a hundred is too easy to like renege, like you know, hundred is enough. Commit. A, a hundred, well, that's, that's the whole point of it is that we want people to commit. Yeah. So you think a so, hundred is enough for people to say I'm in, and then like let's say yeah, I just I can't do it. I don't know. I think two hundred. I, I think feel like hundred is like you would still kind of at the last minute you'd go ah, it's only a hundred, maybe two fifty. Yes, yeah, so, so, like a, a decent en- amount that's enough food, that you're not going to want to lose. You know, enough that's going to be close to maybe covering a lot of the food. Right. Yeah. That's. I think that's a good. That's so. A good in idea. addition to that, all people really have to pay for is getting here and then, yeah, you know, whether flying or driving and then a hotel. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a good. That's a good. A good number two fifty. Because then you're then you're serious about it. You're you're actually going to come. Right. With with a hundred, it's just like you know you you don't know whether they're going to be there or not. Plus, if <laughs> depending on how many we have, it. If we're going to take over a section of a restaurant, mm-hmm. we might need to put down a deposit or something. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how this works, but I mean, if we're going to say, hey, we have 20, 25 people, they're going to be like, okay, you can't just run need to, you know, $1,000 or $500 or something, right? I mean, they're not, they, they may not reserve that much of the restaurant so it sounds like you want me to set up some kind of kickstarter page hey uh, it was your idea dude uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right so um not a kickstarter page all you have to do is a single web page a single web page we'll just put some basic information in a stripe uh just a stripe pay uh, just a stripe payment just yeah right in. i mean you know we can cut paste the code from all right i mean it's yeah it's, it's probably you know two or three hours of work okay 
you know? And so, but I'll have and that done be, by the time It's just as ugly as our website. You don't have to design anything. I'll do that by the time we release the episode. If you want. Yeah, okay, fine. If you want. This I'm, episode's it. So it's going to be textinglive.com slash summit. summit. Slash summit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Spelt S-U-M-M-I-T. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so summit. So I have. You know, so if, if you're, and I, I think we should do. We'll, we'll settle on the date, but I think it should be in, um, say, mid October. Right. I, I think that that would work well because it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't be so hot anymore. Yeah. Because um, it's it can be hot in August and September here, and I'd rather, I'd rather it be time it's a little cooler out. Um, it's before the holidays, so you're not getting into November and stuff. And people are like, well. You know, they're trying to get stuff done before uh, for Thanksgiving and we don't collide with Halloween. And, uh, you know, anyway, I think that might be a good time. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I need to watch out for is George's sister's getting married. So I just I just need to find out what date that is. And then we will we'll, you and I'll sort out a date. So if you do go to te- textinglive.com slash summit, by the time you get to that page, the date will be defined. Or we could, if necessary, we could put two dates and we could just have people vote on it but yeah. i don't know maybe that's not the best thing sandy was telling me not to do that yeah don't, you know she was don't give people choice you give you a choice and things get confused and yeah. it turns into a big debate so mm-hmm. just pick a good date and the people can come come yeah all right i mean and by the way 250 bucks is actually pretty cheap compared to something like microconf or any of these other conferences. well i mean microconf just paid for lunch when I mean, you had to cover all your other meals so this would yeah. this would essentially what we whatever we do we, we put it towards food so it's like if if depending if it was a day and a half or two days, I mean, we'd you know hopefully cover most of the of the cost of all the food, you know. So I missed the last catalyst. You did because I was in Chicago, and I really you, you were supposed to take pictures and send them to me. I took a picture. Okay, well, so was it ice cream fest or pizza fest? Yeah, we uh, both. Oh, nice pizza and nice. ice cream. So the the parents organized that, and mm-hmm. we had um, yeah pizza and ice cream, and they were just playing Minecraft. Basically, right. just having fun. Just having a laugh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, which is, they're always asking them to do that. So it's like, all right, fine, play Minecraft. Yeah. You know, and then, we, and I would just, parents would just sit around and talked. And so are you going to do Catalyst next year? I don't know. Um, you know, Colby loves it and wants to do it, but um, yeah. I, 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 need a, I need a long, good long break. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you know, as I've said on the show a number of times, it's to do it right requires some additional infrastructure you know the question and answers and, and the challenges and stuff did like, you hear anything from the guy who's doing it you know that the oh uh, the code world stuff yeah the guy i talked to yeah um i haven't heard it back from him you know um i, I there's a part of me that wants to check in and see how things are going right but there's a part of me that doesn't because it's like you know gonna suck me into Mm-hmm. Hey, can you come and talk? I want to ask you the questions about this. I want to ask you, I'm, I'm just like I'm just I'm doing my best not to get involved in stuff. I'm doing my best to uninvolve. My, it's it's the year of no. Yeah, it's, it's the year of no. I'm trying to try to do that. <laughs> so if I call him up and I'll be like or email him like, Hey, Michael, how things? How's the, how's the search for a CTO working out? And he might be like, Oh, glad you called. I want you to like talk to this guy and if you could like yeah. you know vet this guy. And all of a sudden now I got homework. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I don't want homework. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, he had he had talked about wanting me to be some kind of advisor um, for, for for the for the venture, but um, you know, I, I haven't heard from him since, so I don't really know what's going on. Yeah. So um, I just got back from um, San Francisco with, with you know working with up at Uber. 
mm-hmm. and they moved into their new office. It is unbelievable. It's like an entire city block. Oh my wow! It's That's... in the it's in the same building as Square. I think Square might have two floors. Yeah, my, I'm not sure if they have one or two floors, but we have a floor. They have like um, you know, it's like a it's like a path that kind of like I think of like an oval that goes around the whole thing. Yeah, that you can walk that kind of goes and. It's almost like walking through like an Ikea where you have like furniture and stuff, but there's a sort of this prescribed walkway, <laughs> you know? Um, well, and this is like, this is engineering one. This is black ops. This is the, like accounting. The, you don't know. It's just an ocean of of people and... How many people are there? Cinema displays. You know, the cinema uh, oh, Mac. Every, oh, it's, yeah. everyone, all ha- everyone all has Mac Pros or Mac, MacBook Airs and everyone has a cinema display. And I mean, I mean, the furniture and everything is gorgeous. Is there like God view on the on dashboards on the yeah, wall? Yeah, there everywhere? are a bunch of like these massive screens with different types of cool looking, you know, futuristic maps of what's going on. And um, there's all these like awesome like areas to hang out with cool couches and all these cool like nooks and crannies like oh here's a bunch of couches and in sh- comfy chairs you can just kind of sit down and nice. curl up and hang i mean most of them are empty because there's so many of them yeah. there's so many like these standing tables so you can just you can always go. have a you can always set up you a would meeting. love it oh yeah i mean good. it it has that kind of mid-century modern feel with like the kind of a lot of natural wood i mean it's it's, it's from a design aspect they spent like they spent eight or nine million building out wow more than more than they raised in their b round <laughs> <laughs> oh it must be nice to have that kind of cash coming so in. I think I heard there were four or four hundred people on the floor, four or five hundred in the office. Yeah. There's a thousand people. I think June seventh, someone said they'll have one thousand people. So how many was there when you started? Seven. <laughs> I think I was number seven or eight. You were number I, seven. <laughs> I, there might have been some other like uh, operations person that I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I was kind of working. At, people keep asking me that, and I'm like, well, let's see. There's Graves and RM and Conrad and Austin. And that's, I mean, Jordan and that's actually pretty rare that you've been part of that experience. I mean, that doesn't happen to many companies that they, I mean, like the amount no. of billion dollar tech companies is, is billion. Yeah. Is Did you is, say billion? Billion. Yeah. You know what the latest valuation rumor is? What? 17 billion. Oh, just go to the Wall Street Journal. I, I mean, billion? I mean, I mean, I mean, <laughs> as in the billion region. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean the, the amount of companies that go you know, past that billion is like tiny. And you have been, you've managed to be in one that's going stratospheric. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's weird. I mean, it, it's being up there is surreal. It is weird. I walk up there and it's like, I don't know any of these people. <laughs> I really, I know. I mean, there's, I, I know like 20 people or something. Maybe I know a few more. I don't know, but it, it feels like I know like 20 people. But they know you, the legend of Jason Roberts. Huh. They've heard the legend. One guy, who was it was Roberts. joking? It was the one to create like a bronze statue of me. <laughs> it's like the godfather uh yeah so uh yeah well first of all i have a bunch of thoughts on this because it was just it's just a weird experience to be to be in this situation yeah um so usually like if you've been around that that long you're like now the cto or cfo or chief product whatever and so you're there and you kind of everybody knows you are but when you're like me and you're a contractor you know, I you come in like I came in, and I, I and I I cash up the front desk, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I need to, um, I'm working Uber, and they're like, well, who are you coming to see? I'm like, uh, no, no one. <laughs> like, I, I'm like, like, well, so I had to go. Okay, Amos, I try Amos and Curtis, and Amos happened to be around, and they bring me down, and they, they and I go upstairs, and the security they have security guys walking around. They have secu- they have wow. like, you know, multiple check ins, and I mean, it's like. 
something out of a sci-fi you know, f- you know, near futuristic <laughs> movie or something. And uh, I was like, this is... So what, what, what are the thoughts? You said you had some thoughts. Well, um, it, well, well, like, if the first of all, just the whole thing about just being sort of overwhelmed by how many people there are and how ginormous this place is now. And it's just, because I only go up once a month, it's like, um, what do they call those uh, time, time-lapse yeah. photography? So you're, so you're seeing it change. You're Every literally month. seeing the change. And probably the people there, it's, it's much more gradual. It's a little them. more gradual. They're yeah. still having a hard time adjusting, I can tell, because the growth is so rapid that they, they're having a hard time um, digesting it. But for me, it's really strange. Um, and, you know, I was, uh, I was talking to Curtis and RM. They were two of the earliest... You know, Curtis came in with me and Arm was, <clears throat> he and Conrad were the first two. They were there about six months before us. They, and uh, and they're both like saying they probably each know at most 100 people. So the other three or 400 people, they have no idea who they are. You probably don't want to know more than 100 though, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to confuse your brain, you know? I mean, you could probably make a, 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 a an effort. Like if you said, all right, I'm going to try and come up with some categorization for myself and get to know people but it would take a lot of effort and i think people there's no real there's not a lot of gain from it and it's just take a lot of work i was thinking of, a, of like a web game where you could match up people like who could know them who would who would know the most people or could you know like here's 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 a face here are the potential names who is it where are they from you know like and who would know the most about the mo- most people I mean, I guess they've kind of gone past the agile phase, right? <laughs> <laughs> Once you've got that many people, it's difficult to change direction and get new stuff, you know, do, do different things. Well, you know, so they're in teams and the teams are trying are, are agile, but they try to move fast. I mean, Amos, so I spent a lot of time talking with Amos. Amos runs a real-time team now. And he's about 20 people under him now. He has, he's a manager. He has teams of teams yeah. underneath him. And... um you know, he's very aggressive. He's still pushing really hard and they're, they're moving fast. And, you know, real time is, is like neural and neural surgery, right? I mean, they, they are brain surgery. They, it, if you screw something up, it's a major problem. Yeah. Cause that's the, that is the, that's the operation. That's what's what runs this, this, you know, there could be a problem with tools or there could be a problem with some web stuff, but if something goes on, with the system, the real-time system is screwed. It's like the search engine of Google going down. Like, Do they have like deep testing and uh, like automated tests of the real-time tons stuff? Tons of tests. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge batteries of tests and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, But I think they still move pretty damn fast, you know. Um, but, you know, I – but that's just talking to people. I mean, obviously, I'm not that directly involved with a lot of the, the stuff. I mean, I work on the stuff that I work on. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working on – I've been working on like dashboards for like the real-time systems. You know, and now I'm going to build like a mobile web version of it. And nice. I mean, for me, it's really kind of easy work. I mean, it's like using 20% of my brain or something. It's right. like, or 20% of my skill set. It's like, okay, if, but you know, what else world am I going to play in a, in a, in a fourth, you know, or a thousand person company? I mean, um, if I'm not there to be a, like a CTO or product manager or something like that. Right. So, but I was kind of, t- I was thinking, I was like, you know, I, I and I, we've talked about this before. I think you're, uh, you're, you're similar, although I think you're growing into like a, a CTO who you're managing people. But I'm like a guy who you drop behind enemy lines with some face paint and a Bowie knife. <laughs> you go take out as many guys as you can, and then we're going to send the Marines in. So that's what I do. But, you know, and I'm good at that. I can take some really vague idea 
concept of, of a problem and I can conceptualize it and build it and get something going, you know, and, but I don't work in well within like a formal infantry regiment, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, yeah, it's an incredibly important phase. I mean, basically it's like, it's the seed, you know, watering the seed, you know, bringing life to the, to the thing. Yeah. Well, every, yeah. So that's, that's what I specialize in. Some has a vague idea of a con, a concept, an idea of some vague they have no idea how to solve a problem. I'm like, all right, here's how you, here's what you want to do. Bang, boom, boom. I'm going to go build it out, get something going and whatever. But, and so that's great. But then when you get a bigger situation like this, if I'm not running a team, then what the hell am I doing? So I'm just, they're going to have me do, I got to work on some small thing. Yeah. In which case for me, it's like kind of brain dead simple. And, but because I'm not like this team guy who wants to spend a lot of time in meetings and the architecture reviews with other people. And since I don't really do that. Yeah. They're like, well, you know, so it's like, they're like, let's send Jason off into the bush. <laughs> like, Jason, do you think you could go and take, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll go and just, you know, I'll go build the first version of something. Yeah. We have this, like, that's the same thing, the real time dashboard. Jason, could you like come up with something? So I just go and build that. And then it's like, okay. And then everything I build, I've noticed then another team of people come in and they rebuild, <laughs> right? The God view has been replaced by a whole new system that four or five or six people worked on and, and the dispatch kernel and all that stuff that now has funny how everything become a, everything you know has the potential to become a team and an infrastructure and a yeah just like a an expanded version of itself yeah well everything starts out like small and crappy i mean google I mean, that's Twitter, the same I, i'm this got the same thing with digidoo you know so we are you know we have like local the local servers and the local server infrastructure and everything that we're doing so I'm I'm thinking, yeah, there there could definitely be an entire team behind the local server inf- infrastructure. In fact, there could be a team just behind the local server messaging infrastructure. Yeah, just just like moving messages around between the local servers. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's what will happen. You know, as you get bigger, then you just build teams of people that manage stuff and gets formalized. Actually, that's and- our, that's the main effort that we're doing in Digidoo right now. We're basically refactoring the the local servers. We're rewriting. We, we, so so we had in um, you know we we have like our cloud API mm-hmm. and then we made our local servers so that the kids could have a tablet in the classroom and they could, they talk directly to the local server. It's basically um, the same code, but as the cloud, but using database. So the problem that we've had is that syncing between the cloud and the local servers using MySQL replication is really really bad. Like it just breaks, it falls over. So regularly, especially as the database grows in size, regularly not not regularly, but it will happen that. A local server will break and the database will become corrupt, especially when there's a power off. So, like, imagine there's a disk write and, you know, some janitor walks past and, like, unplugs unplugs it. It's in the middle of a disk write or, you know, like a, a MySQL sync or something. You've lost, the, you've lost the whole thing. Right. So, we're basically, re, you know, we're rewriting that. And um, we've come up with this, this idea I'm calling Axel Rod. okay so basically um we're we're using we're not we're not no sql we're no db okay right so basically we're no sql (laughs) is so two weeks ago no db (laughs) this is like no db so the 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 thinking is is that you know whatever you use whether it's sql light or whatever like they all kind of have an infrastructure that if it's doing a write in a power off moment, it basically corrupts the file, right? Mm-hmm. And then the thing is corrupt. So we want something that's going to be, you know, power off tolerant. And what's, what is the most, what is the smallest kind of discrete unit that you can do? Well, you can write to one file. Mm-hmm. So basically what we're doing on local server is we're saving, 
you know, when student saves a question, it goes to the local server and maps to a file on the disk okay. and saves saves there. And then, you know, there's there's another process later that's going to like sync that up to the cloud. Yeah. But the point is, is that we will basically we'll never lose it. You know, it's never going to corrupt because every every piece of data that's saved is just like on a one file level. No and if and if there, everything happens to that one file, it's like one question for one kid. It's one question for one kid exactly. So. That's Axelrod, and we're we're gonna really. <laughs> Why Axelrod? I don't know. I just thought of. I just wanted to code think. name Axelrod. <laughs> I was trying to. I was trying to think. What would Jason call this? <laughs> Probably not Axelrod, but uh, I'll go with it. Uh, so you know. So I think we're gonna release it as a like an open source no no DB library. Uh, but it cool. put put it on GitHub. You know. So and then then the other thing that we're doing is, so okay so. Because we go down to this local server level and the school level, so you, so we we have a, a like a batch of servers in the school. So there's there's servers in every classroom, right? So the problem is, is that like let's say students chat to each other, like a student's tablet may have connected via Wi-Fi to the server next door, right? So somehow we've got to get that message to the server next door. Mm-hmm. How do we do it? Mm-hmm. I'm asking how. What do you think? Okay, repeat it to me one more time. Okay, okay. so we got the the cloud. The cloud is talking to each local server which is in a classroom on its own okay. and each each classroom on its own is an intranet okay right so the intranet consists of an access point a local server and a router right okay. so the kids tablets talk to that intranet but if there's two classrooms next to each other there's two intranets mm-hmm. but one tablet may spill over and connect to the wi-fi next door right so the question is is how do we get when when we have no no insight into the network, we it could be different subnets. Yeah, there could be any. Anyway, the answer that we've come up with is we're we're, we're going to have this very complex um, messaging queue using Rabbit Rabbit MQ. Mm-hmm. So basically, the message gets sent to the local server. The, the Rabbit queue dispatches it to the cloud. Then the cloud dispatches it to all the other local servers in the school. Okay. And then and then Node picks it up and distributes it to all the kids who are attached attached so okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's kind of well what was the so you're fun. talking about like how do you keep a tablet from sort of joining the wrong classroom you you can't that, that that concept doesn't even i mean it's not even possible like you can't there's you can do various things like can't you tether a mac address to a particular well you, server? Can, you don't really want to do that because if they if they wander from a tablet from one room to another or down the down the hall or whatever, you know, you, you kind of need it all loosey-goosey. You know what I mean? So you want it loosey-goosey, but you don't. Yeah, exactly. So so you want it... So, I mean, I think it's a pretty it's a pretty good... I mean, like, think about Akamai, right? Akamai gets content as close as possible mm-hmm. to you, mm-hmm. but we get the content actually at least in the room next door, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's pretty good. Yeah. You know? So, so when you're, you know, when you're looking at content or pictures or whatever, it's like really local. Really fast. Yeah. So is that stuff all holding up? All your local server, your complete local server solution that you created a year ago, whatever. I mean, is that all? It, it is. It is holding up beyond um, the, the stuff that I described. Like the basically the weakness now is um, the My, the MySQL aspect of it. We need to just move away from MySQL on local servers. So we're, but that's why we're building our own system. Oh, that's the new the the, yeah. the no DB approach. The no DB, yeah, yeah. Because what happens is like. When kids when kids save an answer, it it posts into the local MySQL and then that gets synced to the cloud. But the problem is, is if MySQL becomes corrupt because of a power off, which happens a lot, 
Like right, kid- so this is a consistent problem. This isn't a theoretical problem. Yeah, no, no. It happens a lot. I mean, kids walk past these things and, like, unplug it by mistake. You know, they, they, or their the, shoes the, scuff the, it. Or the janitor comes in yeah. and he's moving some equipment. Yeah. Or they come out, someone's vacuuming the floor after school and they, I had a plug. I mean, it's just happening. I'd say the main reason, the main issue is that because, my, because obviously, the, the central database in the cloud is big. There's a lot of data coming through. And even, even though we've kind of siphoned it off on a per-school thing, there's still a lot of syncing going on. So... The replication is happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Then replication does file rise. So I think that's the reason why the unplugging is is the most dangerous piece. So yeah, so you're just going to pull that data up and then in, and do your own. Custom. Right. Yeah. So so what so what will happen is a rabbit uh, a rabbit message will come down the down the pipe. It'll hit the server and then that'll spawn a PHP process and that will write files to disk as well. Mm-hmm. And so when when the kid looks with the tablet. They, they connect to what we call our light API. So it's like our spoof API. Mm-hmm. And it just like recreates what the main API would give. So if, they, if they're actually on the main cloud, um, they'll be talking to a real database. But if they're on a local server, they're just talking to files on disk. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Sounds cool. So it's still, from a technical standpoint, it's still pretty fun. Yeah. In terms of like a lot yeah. of big challenges. I think so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun. It's, it's especially fun because, you know, with having not being native, like being you know HTML five, that makes it also challenging. Yeah, right to do UI stuff like mm-hmm. you know drawing and things like that. Drawing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's still fun. Um, so what else? Like, oh well, well, I, I wanted to. Uh, if, I, one thing I I didn't get a chance to say that. So you know, one thing about being up at Uber, yeah, that was fun. It was kind of fun. So is talking to a couple of the original guys. So a couple of them are starting to vest now. Oh, like one guy's vested. But I thought you, I vest in one year. Oh, I see. Okay. So I'm in the first group, but it was spread out over a year. Wait, I, hold, hold on a second. What does that? I thought that what does vest mean versus buying? I thought you already vested okay. some. I can early. I early exercised all my options. Oh, exercise. So what's that? But early exercise. So so when you get options. Yeah. Okay. You're granted options, but the way most startups. Or, or do it is they say you do not get any of them until you've been in the company at least one year. Once you've been at one year, you get a quarter of your options vest. So you have to, they call it a one year cliff. Yeah. Then every month you vest that fraction that's left. So you don't get all of your options until you've been there four years. I mean, some companies do it three years, some do it five. five. Oh, I would say ninety percent of them, ninety ninety five percent, will probably do four years, <laughs> and with a one year cliff. That's just really common. Um, because you don't want people being there like three months and leaving and they have some, I was just like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, it's like, they're, so they're vesting, granted. you mean when you say you've speaking to some people who invested, you mean everything they've, they've got everything. Yeah. Okay. So in the way most options plan, option plans work is that you can't exercise your options until after they vested. Yeah. But Uber introduced a nice new aspect of their plan, a while, you know, year and a half ago or whatever that said, Okay, if you've been at the company six months, if you want, you can go ahead and exercise the options, which means purchase the options. You pay the strike price for the options. Now, if you quit or get fired, that money sunk money, right? You spent five or ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars on options. You know, you you left after two years, so you know maybe half your money is gone. You're not going ever going to get those options. So there's reasons not to do it, especially if you don't, if you're not 100 percent convinced you're going to stay there the entire length of time, or you're kind of not really sure the company's really going to do that well. And you're like, which case you're like, I like having the options, but I don't really want to early exercise them because if like we don't raise money in the next round, we run out of money in six months, then I, I don't want to spend you know my life savings exercising the options. Now in my case with Uber, it was like 
by the time, you know, I, I you know, I started to vest and, and, and everything, it was pretty obvious that Uber was a runaway train mm-hmm. and I, it wasn't even a concern. So I went ahead and purchased all of them and exercised them early. And the reason I exercise them early is that you buy, you, 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 you always buy them at the strike price, but you have to pay. Okay. You pay for, tax? if you are not employees there are two types of options. If you're an employee, there's called incentivized, incentivized stock options, ISOs and in the tax, the tax liability from those options or rather the difference between their fair market value and the strike price because they're not always the same. If the company becomes more valuable since the stock, since the valuation of the company when the options were issued, that you're, there's a tax liability there. Now, if you are an employee, that falls under AMT or, t- or alternative minimum, minimum tax. If you're like me and you're, you're not an employee, you're a contractor, I have what are called non-qualified uh, stock options or non-quals. I have to pay regular income tax on that difference. Hmm. Not, and I don't, I don't get the benefit of AMT or anything like that. So that means, like, if for simple math, if I had a, an option that cost that was a dollar strike price, and then and then uh, I didn't exercise it, and then and then by the time I was going to go par- purchase it, now it was twenty dollars. That's like then I was going to pay, um, and then I had say thousands of those options. I'm going to pay nineteen dollars times however many options I have. I'm going to pay regular income tax, which is get probably twenty or twenty five percent more than long term. So it could be, they could have to be a ton of money. So basically, if you purchase them early at the earliest strike price, you save yourself a crap load of cash. Of taxes. You, you, taxes. Know, you, you have to outweigh that cash when you may not highly have it, like me. Like, it's really tough coming up with that money. But you did it. I did it. Did you, for all of them? All of them. I earlier exercised everything in, in January, right at the beginning of the new year, so that oh, I don't nice. pay taxes on those until April of 2015. Great. I mean, it's really complicated. So are you, f- are you fully vested? No, I have one more year. Right, right, I have okay. three, year, three years, so 75% of my So what are those guys going to do? Like, say, the guys who are fully vested, like, why, why is it interesting that they've vested? What, what, what are the Well, so I'm about? sitting around with two of the guys, and we're, like, you know, sitting in the... They have this, like, this new war room. I mean, it's more like this, like, the ultimate, cra- like, hangout area. Like, yeah. you know, they have, like, this, like... It's, like, sort of one of these places, rooms that are sort of central central to the to the floor. Right. But you can turn the... Uh, you just dial, and it fogs up the windows. <laughs> and have these all the awesome couches and these huge monitors. I mean, it's like something out of a, it's like something out of a movie. And that's where yeah. they're sitting around like, this is just hilarious. You yeah, know? go on. Like, <laughs> and we're just looking like, can you believe this? This is not real. So th- either way, I mean, everybody's going to stick around until the if, if, IPOs. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, it's like going to the Olympics and skipping the closing ceremonies or something. I mean, it's just like, you know, might as well. But it, I, it, it did feel like it was almost like, I would say victory lap time, but it was like the last couple of weeks of like your senior year of high school after everybody's already got accepted to the colleges they want to go to. And it's just kind of like the finals are over. Nothing matters. And you're just kind of like, I guess we got graduation in a week or two. So we're just kind of <laughs> hanging out. Right. <laughs> I mean, we did it. You did it. But clearly, you know, obviously everybody's still working hard and there's, you know, the company is going to has a long way to grow to realize its potential. And, you know, um, Travis has a massive vision that's gonna, that's way bigger than what it is now, and I think the company is is going to be much much bigger than it is. I mean, we're just looking at the numbers. I mean, it has it's growing incredibly rapidly, and it's going to go much bigger. So there's a lot of work to do. But that said, it's like you can tell everybody's net worth is going to be completely different. So Travis has an iceberg strategy. I uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it was just it was kind of uh, it was kind of you know kind of fun being up there and talking to some of the original guys and, you know, just kind of, because, you know, 
I think like a lot of these companies, these tech companies, and definitely at Uber, there's sort of a culture of like people don't spend any time talking about that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just heads down. But if, every once in a while, it's like I think it's worth taking a step back and going, guys, look where we are. You know, like just acknowledge it for a minute. You know, you don't have to go, well, you know, we still got to do this, this, and this. And I, like, okay, fine. Right. I get it. I felt the same on my first exit. What do you mean? Which exit? Pluggio. Oh, yeah, the Pluggio exit. <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess that was an exit. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, you got to, I think it's worth taking a, taking a, taking a minute and appreciating it and just kind of, you know, but you don't want to spend too much time doing it because it feels kind of like, kind of like stupid talk because it's still like, I mean, Uber's raising $500 million roughly right now. They're not going to need, and, and, and what I've heard is like, you know, we're, it's going to be very difficult for us not to be profitable in 2015, no matter how fast we grow. And they're hiring people and opening cities and stuff as fast as they can. So it's not like there's any desperation for money at all. This, I think this 500 million is just to like demonstrate to, to, to Lyft, there's no point in doing a price war. We're mm-hmm. 15 times your size and we have way more money. Don't even try it. You know, I think that's kind of like, that's one of the reasons to do it. I mean, I don't, I, again, I have no direct com- communication with senior executives on the strategy, but I mean, talk, you know, that, I think that's pretty much it. So, which means they're probably not going to go public for, I would guess, 18 months, you know, 18, 24 months, which means, and then, and then, and then even people who are vested, you still have a six month lockup period after they go public before you can sell anything. I mean, that is definitely one stock that I would buy. <laughs> You know, if it went, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I would definitely buy Uber stock. Yeah. And I think the way Travis is probably thinking is like, I'm not interested in making the public rich. I want to make people at Uber rich and my Mm -hmm. investors rich. So the sooner you go public, the more that your upside is anyone can participate in it. Right. Right. But if you keep it private, then the original, all the investors and the employees and founders and everybody, they can realize potential. If you don't need that money, you might as well keep it private for a while. Now, there's obviously a certain amount of pressure from At some point, these venture f- firms and angel investors, they're going to want to take s- some money off the table. They're going to be like, hey, you know, I invested it and the company was worth $10 million. Now it's worth $40 billion or $60 billion. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to return some money to my limited partners mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. So, but I, I, I'm guessing it's, so no matter what happens, my life isn't going to change for like, Three, two to three, two and a half to three years, I would think. Well, Which sucks because we, because Sandy's like, you know, three kids. We, we need three, it now. We have three kids living in the loft. Yeah. You know, we have. You're ready. You're ready for a new place. I'm okay. I'm fine with it. Sandy's like, you know. Sandy's ready for a new Sandy, place. You know, most wives and mothers are like, we want a house. It's right. rare. So she's, she's like, and we have three kids and we live in a two, two bedroom plus loft condo. You know, so she's like, you know, it would be really, really, really nice if we could buy a house. And, but I'm like, well, that's going to have to wait two to three years probably. And you don't want to, I mean, you, there's other options, but you don't want to, uh, you know, go through the upheaval. Like, I guess you could rent that place out and go and rent a bigger place. I can't afford it. What, to rent that place out? I mean, I, I could rent out, but like, what am I going to rent a bigger place? Where am I going to get the money from? Bigger uh, place that costs more money. I don't right, have it. Right. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how to, I'm still, you're still just trying to get a pay cut off with taxes last year. Not to mention, I have to save up taxes on, remember, I think I talked about this a while back, 
when I exercised all my remaining options, the fair value, there was a difference between the fair value and the price. So I have to pay like another $30,000 in taxes for those options. So I don't know where the hell that money's coming from. <laughs> well, how's your, um, I mean, other side side contracts going and side projects and all that kind of stuff? So I've been shedding projects like I should be shedding pounds. What, what happened with um, <laughs> I've, What happened with the empath one? Well, let, let's talk about projects that I've shed, not not the shed you know i shed yeah okay right yeah, yeah okay so mighty hive was one of my um uh consulting projects yeah and the only reason i did that was so i could save enough enough money to buy to exercise the options yeah um and so that worked out nicely for that um so i they they finally got to the point where they i i think it was partly that Okay, the project came to an end. The CEO, who's a friend of mine, Pete, was like, let's take this in-house now. Partly because they could, like, I had gotten it to a point where they could then iterate on the UI and make little tweaks on it. But also, I think part of it is, like, we had we had, had dinner together, and he saw how overwhelmed I was with work. And he's just <laughs> like, dude. Like, he kept saying, like, don't take any more projects. You need to be, like, kung fu and just wander the earth. <laughs> You're so burnt out. So I think he was like, I'm going to do you a favor. Like, let's just, I'm not going to keep leaning on you for this. And so he was, but... What's interesting about the Mighty Hive one is I had them pay me half in cash and half in convertible debt, <laughs> which was really interesting. Do you know what convertible debt is? Yeah, so that's that's basically where in their next round that's going to convert to stock of some kind. Right. So the way it works is based on their value the valuation of that. So it's round. essentially like they don't pay me, but they're lo- the, but I've loaned them the money. Yeah. So, um, and since I have a pretty high since i was charged two hundred dollars an hour i'm taking half half of that in convertible debt was actually turned out to be a fair chunk of debt which was good yeah so um the so yeah so that so rather so i'd send an invoice and i would get half of it i'd get a check for half and then i'd get like a promissory note you know and, and they're doing but they're doing 10, well as well right in yeah. their own right. so it's a promissory note for like a 10 percent interest and it's a $15 million cap. So if they raise money, so basically it's pegging their valuation that if they, somewhere less than $15 million. So if they go and raise money at their next round at $100 million, I still get it as if it was $15 million. I, it's not like I get, I still get, I don't get diluted that much. That's great. So, but they're just, they just raised, I probably couldn't say, say the number, but they've gone up substantially. <laughs> and so it was like, way, all right. Like, it's already paying off. All right, so that's one shit. So that's one. So that's done. Yeah. And that was a big, complicated project. That was a lot of... I had to learn Postgres, and I had to do the whole thing in Java. And I hadn't done Java in, like, 15 years. Yeah. So that was a new learning... That was, like, a relearning experience. You know, mate, learning Maven, and I think we're using the JetBrains and ID. Did and- you find that when you went back to Java with what you know now and many of the new kind of programming concepts and patterns that you've learned since then changed the way that you used Java? No. Just, you just used it back the way that, that you used to use it? Yeah, straight up. You know, it's very similar to how I did .NET with C Sharp and C Sharp is like a kissing cousin to, to Java. Yeah. Um, what was nice though is that the ID, IDE was so, had such good code completion that, and so many like... Wizards. Eclipse, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's built on Eclipse or whatever. Yeah. So you just click a couple buttons and it would just generate a bunch of boilerplate getters yeah, and setters. all that use crap. stuff. They've, they've started bringing that into PHP, you know, the whole use. And uh, that, I don't know, in, in my uh, editor, it doesn't do that. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, it um so it made so we, if you if you did that, if you knew if you learned the hotkeys to do all the stuff, then it was really fast. Yeah. You weren't really typing typing that much more than you would do if you're doing JavaScript or Python or something. Maybe a little bit more, but not much. But I got to like it and then I got really I got very familiar with Postgres. So, so that's Mighty Hive. That's Mighty Hive. So next, the iPhone project Oh, with God's your, with tweets, your buddy. which I'm doing for a buddy well, of mine. And so I have one more session. What we're going to do is we have one more bug to knock out. And, or that's actually more of a feature edition. And then I'm working with an, a titanium expert to help us get everything we need to generate the app in such a way that we can then. Where did you find a titanium expert? Yeah, so we can submit it to the app store. Okay. Okay. Because I didn't want to spend four hours dicking around with that stuff, you know, because it's a pain in the butt. I want to say I wanted somebody who's done it like three or four times. Um, Where'd you find it? So I used AirPair. Oh, okay. oh, so something like Anyfoo. Yes, exactly. So nice. AirPair is like is uh, so a listener to our show, um, Jonathan Kresner, uh created AirPair. Went to Y Combinator, right? And you know, I think they're doing okay. I mean, obviously, I have no, I'm not privy to how many customers they have, but they seem to have a lot of experts. And whereas we automate a lot of stuff, their stuff is really not quite as automated as ours. There's this kind of, you know, much more manual. There's 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 a guy, Pratik, I think was his name, who was sort of, what kind of person do you need? When, do you, when can you do it? He's kind of back and forth, facilitating yeah, everything. Yeah. So, which made it kind of a pain because he would confuse things like he thought I was in London time and then he thought, you know, so there was, there was confusion and it was just a lot of emails back and forth, which was made it more, much more complicated than it should have been. Um, so, but as we've discovered with Anyfu, the, 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 the real value add is actually have an opportunity to get somebody who's an expert and have them help you solve your problems. You don't have to burn hours or days, right? So even if there's a, a dozen emails back and forth and confusion, it's still like, okay, fine. How does, so, so, because I, I went to the site, I couldn't find like a search, for example. So you, so you just send it to, you send an email and you say what you're looking for. You and do they what you go. request, you request an expert, a session, a request a, Whatever. And they'll go and find someone. And you, yeah, and I said, I need someone. I said, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. I've built a handful of, titanium apps but i've never submitted to the app store i need someone who's an expert at doing that to walk through it i think it's a good idea no but one of the problems is they first gave me a guy who was an expert with building iphone apps and getting stuff to the app store but he didn't have any titanium expertise expertise right and so he got us like 80 percent of the way there which was useful i mean we had like these different types of certificates and crap that we'd get together but when it came to like titanium's you know, working with titanium, he's like, oh, so does titanium, titanium do this? Or he, he was unfamiliar. And so yeah. I was like, you know, and that's that, what I had said. I said, I need someone who has experience with titanium. But there was another guy who actually was a titanium engineer, worked for titanium. Hmm. And he claims to be, knows much about titanium as just about anybody in the world. So I'm like, okay, that's who I want. So it's a little frustrating because he wasn't the exact right fit. And they just kind of gave me someone who was, even though this guy, the guy who helped me was, super bright guy and he'd probably you know in terms of xcode and building iphones he was an expert he just was not 100 percent the right fit now probably it may not have made a difference because in the end because it took us an hour probably to get all the certificates sorted out so we, we used him for an hour if we worked with the titanium guy we probably still would have spent an hour doing that which really didn't have anything to do with titanium was working with the apple developer portal and Ugh, you know nightmare. because because 
their certificates were, you know, because their certificates were all created by my buddy Mark and under his name, but then titanium and the, ex- the stuff, the certificates on my machine are then the keychain, and we got to get these to my keychain and do all that crap. Yeah. I'm giving, you're going to headache just listening. No, I know it well. I know it well. <laughs> it sucks. It's, it's really painful. Yeah. So, um, but, but I think that, uh, I think Jonathan's done a good job with AirPair. Yeah. One thing he did differently than, than what we did with Anyfoo is he actually really tried to, prime the demand side first yeah so rather than getting a bunch of experts on there it was just sort of like we'll get an expert for you and they tried to go out i think maybe it's advertising or whatever tried to find people. i like i really like that idea because because um because it's kind of more useful when someone comes and they can ask for anything like we we didn't really facilitate that we didn't think about it that way yeah, yeah. and it's probably easier to get an expert when you say hey we have someone who's willing to pay yeah, exactly you. exactly yeah. you think you can do it so it's worth your time so that was a he did, he did a better job with that. So hopefully it'll work because as you've said before, it's like nice to be able to have access to something like that. Yeah. You know, great. and um, I've definitely appreciated it for this project. So anyway, it'll, it's going to be nice to have this iPhone project done because that's just burned up a ton of time. Have I talked about it on the show? Uh, yeah, you did. You mentioned, you met, you had mentioned that um, you were doing an iPhone project and I don't know if you mentioned the thing about the deal you did where you said you were going to go through the, if you're going to go through the pain, he's going to go through the pain. Oh, no. Well, so what happened was, I'll just synopsize it in case I, I don't remember if I talked about it too much, but essentially, I took this project from, I helped them out with the project. They had, I had another developer do it, and then it, it, stre- it kept going on and on, being stretched out, and then it wasn't, it was, was never, wasn't getting finished, and the developer wasn't being very responsive to them and not getting, you know, they would send a text or an email, wouldn't hear back for like a week, and they're just like, you know, kind of at their wits end and, and so i was like all right i'll i'll just I'm like whatever he charged you guys because they gave like a fixed bid i'm like i'll just do it for that because you'd recommend that's the problem with recommending people yeah so then yeah because i recommended him and so then i felt kind of somewhat responsible i mean not i mean obviously it's up to them to vet the person themselves but i said all right i think this will probably work out for you and then when it didn't i feel all right well i'll just i'm like what what did he charge what was he going to charge you and they're like oh he's going to charge eight grand i'm like all right well i'll I'll just do it for that. And I said, plus, if you, whatever you pay him, I'll just do the difference. Because it looked, I mean, it was just stupid idea. Don't ever, first of all, never, ever, ever do a fixed bid in software development. It's a stupid idea. You're going to, because what happens is, as soon as it balloons to being more than the fixed bid, which it will, it always does, unless you spend a ton of time up front specking the whole thing out yeah. and then pad it and, you know, double it and then pad it some more and all these kind of things that big, consulting firms do mm. if you're a single individual and someone comes to you you just don't have the time to do that you're going to spend a couple hours thinking about it, a few hours thinking about it write down some notes and say here's the number you're going to be off and and how was, much were you off by an order a factor of five i was probably it was probably it's probably in the uh 30 to forty thousand range and, and that's not even at my consulting rate that's just like it's sort of like a it might if i was charged my consulting rate which it was what it was costing me because I could have been, I had an all you can eat deal with Mighty Hive. Yeah. So I'm not working on Mighty Hive, you know, in any spare minutes I have, I'm working on this thing. And so it's costing me a fortune and it just keeps going on and on and on. So it's like six and a half thousand that you actually got from them, but you did about forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 worth of work. I probably lost forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. Right. It was, that sucks. A, it was an absolute nightmare complete fiasco and it's completely my fault i mean you know i mean i'm i've known for you know 15 years never to do a fixed bid 
And anyone would kind of told would have come to me and said, "Hey, Jason, should I do a fixed bed? I don't ever ever do it." But I did it because I was trying to help out a friend, and I had inherited somebody else's fixed bed. And by the way, it was a terrible fixed bed, and it was way under bid. And I think that's why that project went off the rails is because I think what happened was he went way over. He realized that every hour he spent on this thing, he was losing money, and so he was having to work on other projects because he had to pay the bills. This just king kept dragging. This thing kept dragging on and on, and he just kept feeling worse. Did and you worse start about from it. scratch, or did you pick I up his code? From, I start from scratch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm working with someone else's half finished code would be a nightmare. It's funny, yeah, because because with Lance, with Lance and Joanna, and the the disco project that I'm mm-hmm. working on with them, um, there someone had kind of started it, you know, and I looked at the code and I was like, I don't, you know, it it seems fine, but it's just not my stack, you know, and I think. I just think it would be much, and I'm, I've been proven right. Like it's just much faster when you just start with your own stack, all the stuff you oh, know. Yeah. You can build it out, you know. So it, I, I kind of caught him up within two within two weeks, you know. Yeah. In, in, unless you're just fixing a few bugs, adding a single feature. But if it's something you're going to serve as a foundation for going forward, just yeah. start from scratch. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously it matters if you have some massive. You don't rewrite Microsoft Word, but most projects are not that well, big. I guess it depends on the, fa- the phase. I mean, this wasn't even released. This yeah. wasn't even launched. Then it's fine, right? Yeah. But if it's something that's actually out there. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. Yeah, If it's, if it's yeah. some pre-launched, half-finished, half-baked yeah. thing in somebody else's coding style, their own stack, their own, however their brain works, which yeah. is different areas, screw it. So anyway, this thing, it just kept dragging out and dragging out and it just would never end. And I was, got, I was just so frustrated by it because I felt, because, they were my friends. It was two brothers. And so I felt like I couldn't just, you know, walk away from it. I mean, if it was a client who I might have just said, here, I'm going to have to refund the deposit. This thing, either we, we need to re- renegotiate this whole thing. It or really affected you because there was there was some times when I even called you and you were in such a bad mood. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it, just, the, it just killed so yeah. many weekends. Yeah. So many of my weekends, it was just ruined and nights and it was just horrible. And I knew how much it was costing me. And so I think... So what I think happened on this first, with this first developer is, you know, he just stopped working on it because that's what happens with fixed bid. When a fixed bid project gets so, uh, when the, when the price balloons so fast, so much for past the, the fixed bid, the initial bid, you just have less and less of incentive to develop to fix it because you're like, I got to pay my bills. I don't know if I, how much longer it's going to take to fix. This is a nightmare, but you have this sunk cost bias, which means you don't want to like refund the deposit and then get nothing for it. So you think, okay, I'll get back to them, finish it up, but I got to do some other work because I got to pay some bills. Meanwhile, the client really wants this thing done and they're not, you know, so it just creates this horrible misaligned incentive problem. So that's what I always think the best thing to do, come up with a loose, a, a loose estimate, say, let's break it into small milestones, short milestones, like a couple weeks to start. And, and then if it's off by a little bit, it's not going to be off by that much, you know, but when you have this huge project thing, Ah, you know, it's like, so anyway, it was a disaster and it's finally going to So how did you, so you, uh, well, how to, how how to resolve it? Yeah. So it got to the point where Mark and I had a talk and, and I, and I sent him an email. I'm like, dude, this thing, I'd sent him a few emails. Like, look, this thing is just a nightmare. It's just way, way, way beyond what, you know, the initial bid was. And I, you know, and, and so we had a talk about it and I said, listen, I don't want to just drop it for you guys. And I don't want to say, hey, you guys need to pay me like twenty five dollars or $30,000 so I don't feel bad about it. So I tell you what. But the problem was is like he had he sent me this like right at the end there after I told him how big it was. He sent me this list. He's like, well, here's the uh, the last 
the, the I can't already called it the, you know, it's like last 12 or 15 bucks. And it, I was like, oh my God, that's like another 50 hours or something. I was just like, I would just see like the next two months of weekends are just gone. And I just, I just about lost it. I'm just like, screw it. <laughs> so, but I said, look, here's the thing. I, I was like, it's, it's really easy for you to send an email. It's like, oh, can you just do this? Or can you just have this feature? Or can you just fix this? It seems, sounds like easy. You just sent an email. For me, you just killed my whole weekend. Just an email. All Saturday, all Sunday. I don't go to my, I don't go spend time with my daughters. I don't go to my son's game. I don't get to do this. I don't get to do that. Mike, just gone. I said, but I tell you what, you come to my place and you suffer with me hour for hour. You sit next to me, I'll do it with you. <laughs> for as many hours as you're willing to suffer, I'll suffer with you as your friend. But I'm not going to suffer alone. I'm not going to sit here for the for however many nights and weekends suffering while you send an email, ask me to do something, and then you go back and hang out with your wife and kid. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh, you know, he, he I said either that or you could pay me two hundred bucks an hour. But I don't want to, I don't want you to pay me two hundred bucks an hour. I would prefer that you just come here and we walk this thing in together. We suffer together. We can suffer together. I will suffer as your friend. So did you did you guys suffer together? We did. We did about three sessions. He came over for two and one. We just did remotely. Oh, okay. Because he, you know, he's a very high paid management consultant. So it's like, you know, either you're not spending time with your wife and kid and your wife's getting pissed <laughs> and you're, you know, that you're, that you're, she's home for the week and you're not there or you're not getting paid the super high billing rate you are for your consultants, which is the same thing is happening to me. I don't yeah. get to spend time with my wife and kids, and I'm losing a lot of money. If you're willing to do it, I will do it with you. But of course, that immediately shortened up the list. Yeah, I bet it. <laughs> right? I bet, He's like, because right. I knew there was a very limited amount of hours that he was willing to like drive over from Pasadena from you know Beverly Hills and sit with me and code this thing and lose money and not spend. I mean, so now your now now our incentives are 100 aligned, and so I knew there was going to cap on that. There would be no more emails of like, oh, can you just add this or can you just do that? Like, sure, if you want to come on drive over and sit next to me while we do it. <laughs> that's a good i wonder if the whole project could have been done that way like it's a good it, it would have it would have cut down so much it would have and it would have happened faster because he would when once once someone starts realizing that a feature is like not an hour and a half it's 20 hours they're like oh you know what let's just forget this yeah because if they either have to pay for it themselves if they pay for it with their time or pay for their money they're not going to want to do it and people don't believe that a feature takes 20 hours until they actually see the different kind of weird pain things that you have to go through, like configuration, wrong file names, you know, missing variables. Like, yeah, they, they just don't know until they go through it. Yeah. And when they sit there next to you for hours and they're just like, oh, you know. <laughs> well, luckily, we just blew through these things quickly. Yeah. So it was really nice. Like nothing took more than like 15 or 20 minutes. And we just like, bla- I mean, there's only like two, two features that have left. And one of them we might enter. Everything else we got done. Um, so it was it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right. But it certainly put a cap on anything being added to it. Good. But so that's that's a solution. I'll tell you if you're if you're dumb enough like I was to get yourself into fix bid and you then you get halfway through and not sure what to do, align the incentive somehow like I did, like I did with this project. Yeah, that that's really good. Yeah, I mean it was and because he's a really good friend of mine, and it put a big strain on our relationship. So I had to figure out like how do I solve this because I don't want him coming out of this feeling like I somehow acted unfairly you know, to him, even though obviously I felt like things had become very unfair. And I was like, you know what, I'm screw all this. Like, how do we figure this out as friends? I'm like, let's just walk this thing in as friends. Let's, you know, however, you know, and if it sucks, it sucks. I'll, but I'll do it with you. So uh, how many other projects have you scrapped? So there's two. So there's, and then of course, any foo. 
Yeah. It's done. So the last thing I'm waiting on is to send in the paperwork. I'd close down the bank account and send in the paperwork. So I have the paperwork fi- sitting on my desk and I just got to go down the street and close on the bank <laughs> account. But I realized that we had one outstanding payment that, that never got through to Joanna yeah. Weeb. And so I emailed her and I said, okay, look, we owe you. So I'm going to send you this check. Tell me as soon as you've cashed it, because as soon as you've cashed it, I'm going to go to the bank, I'm going <laughs> to shut down the bank account, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to send this, you know, dissolution papers to the Secretary of State and we're out and we're done. So, so uh, that, that's – I wonder whether it was worth setting up the whole company and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, did th- – that may have been premature, like if, if you think about it, right? So, I mean, did we – what do you think? Yeah, I mean – you know, building a startup, like, don't you, I, I think that I would recommend don't do that stuff until you've got some kind of revenue, some kind of money coming through. Like, I know you, you were very keen on the, the whole intermingling thing, like don't intermingle funds or whatever, but I commingle. think co- yeah, co- commingling, commingling, commingling <laughs> funds. Yeah. Commingling. When you, you, Cause a lot, of, a lot of people who are sort of like, it's like amateur hour and they're like putting personal expenses on the business card and, but they're, I, but doing, I, and they're buying business stuff with their personal card and it gets written. And and but think about all the pain that it caused us. Like, so, so if, if we'd have just done it through your, you know, existing consulting account or my existing consulting account, like that would have saved us a shitload of pain, you know, even from that we didn't really need really to go through. Yeah. I mean, I think we're doing a little post-mortem here. Yeah. I would recommend someone don't set up an LLC in California first because it, because it takes forever and it costs a fortune. You got to spend a thousand dollars a year just for your light, your, your LLC fee. Yeah. And then you got to pay an account to file separate set of taxes. So that costs another thousand bucks. So you got a couple thousand dollars a year just for the thing being alive. Um, you know, I mean, if the company's successful, then that's 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 nothing. It's a no. That's that's a that's a rounding error. If it's not successful, it's an albatross. Um, so for us, the company never generated that much money, so it was just a big cost to us. So the thing is, should we have spent money in design? Should we have built code before just getting a bunch of experts or getting demand? You know, I think in the end, I mean, yes, twenty 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 hindsight. Obviously, the best thing to do is if we just said, look, we're just going to set up a Stripe account under one of our names mm-hmm. and uh, and we're not going to use Webmaster Checks. We're just going to literally mail checks by hand. Yeah. And that would we, yeah, but we, because because we're both technologists, we, auto, we we went for automation and actually building the solution, whereas we should have probably done what Airbnb did, where they just basically had a Web page and email addresses. That's how they Well, started. that's what Jonathan Gressner did with yeah, AirPair. Yeah. I mean, he, he told me, he's like, look, I didn't spend, he's like, he told me, he said, look, we we didn't do a lot of the, the, we didn't build the infrastructure that you guys did. He's like, now I'm suffering from it because we're trying to scale and it's like, it's painful. But, no, but at least it's the right way there. to do it. Yeah, it's the right way to do it. Yeah, go feel the pain before you automate. If, yeah. you're, if, you're, if you're pre-automating, if you're automating before you have any pain, it's, you're, there's a good chance that you're, you're running the risk that you're going to spend tens, if not hundreds of hours working on a piece of code that's never really well, going to... It's funny because we, if you think about it, it falls into the startup genome project number one. Thing, right i'm ha- i'm so happy you brought that up because i was just gonna bring it up but i'm happy yeah, you're pre- premature that. scaling right and it's exactly what we did with any food if you think about it well exactly that is the this human the startup genome projects number one f- finding top finding for the reason startups fail is premature scaling and usually what they're talking about is funded startups raise a bunch of money before they really have product market fit and then they they hire a bunch of people and they do a bunch of stuff and then they realize so i i'd actually actually say you know it what, what's a really well-known um, sort of best practice or, or, or heuristic for software development is um, 
or refrain, I guess you might call it, is is the number one evil in software development is premature optimization. Yeah. The corollary to that in the startup land is the number one evil in entrepreneurship or startups is premature scaling. Yeah. Right? Doing anything that that you think, well, we're going to have to send out a lot of checks. We've got to set up a account webmaster checks. We build all this cron infrastructure. Or we need to create all this stuff. We get it. You know, it's like, screw all that. You know, like, don't do everything with bubble gum and toothpicks until you have real, you, until it's taking up a lot of time and pain and then, and then automate it. Um, but it's like, if, if you get anything out of scaled alignment, it fucks it up. So like, let's say, for example, you don't have any money, but you try and hire three people or five people. That's, you know, that's out of whack. You know, you've got too many people versus how much money you've got. Or uh, if you try and build build infrastructure and you say, okay, you put a lot of ambition into it. You're right, we're going to build this huge infrastructure, but you've only got one person to build it. That's out of whack. So it's like, it all has, you know, everything that you're doing at that moment kind of needs to be in check with everything else. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I would, if I was saying like easy way to remember it is the, the number one evil in startups is... And startup development is premature scaling. Yeah. It's just like, it's just easy to remember is that <laughs> Donald Knuth's saying about premature optimization. Yeah. Premature scaling. See it happen over and over and over and over again. You know, because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're incredibly optimistic. So we're very susceptible to believing our own vision. And if we really believe in our own vision, then it's going to be huge and it's going to scale. So we need 10 servers and we need a million, $10 million. And we got to, you know, it's like, don't believe be skeptical it, it, it's like you don't have to be skeptical of your own vision because a lot of times you need that optimism to push you through to get something going but you just have to like um force yourself to have some patience i'll tell you something there's no way any food would have even got off the ground if we'd have taken that other approach because honestly neither of us would have really wanted to do it which yeah. Actually, it would have been good because it would have demonstrated right away that neither of us were willing to do the things that needed that to, needed to, to exist for the company to yeah. be successful, right? So it would have saved us time. And, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, so do, we, do we did what we enjoyed doing, right? We, we built something. Yeah, we, let's just start off. Let's write code and do a really beautiful <laughs> UI and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, whatever. So, well, anyway, so that's with AnyFoo. AnyFoo is, um, in fact, I might check the bank account. I'm sure Joanna's probably received the check and yeah. cashed it, so I can probably shut down that and be done nice so those are done catalyst is done at the very least is done for the year right math team is done for the year yeah so and those are all taking a lot of my time so mighty hive god's tweets any foo catalyst and uh the math team mm-hmm. all of them so now i'm down to like just 15 projects <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Now, now things are getting down. How so, many projects are you down to now? Well, do you call the do you, would we consider the podcaster project? Sure. Four. All right, that's good. That's it's a lot better. Much better than before, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in podcasts, I don't have to think so much about it. It's just something we do, well, now once a month. Hopefully we get back to it once a week or Was, something. So I'm curious to know about the empath thing. I know you, you spoke about the YC uh, experience last week, so... Um, well, last month. So, uh, but but you were saying that you had a future with em- that with Empath, and you were speaking to potential customers and all that kind of stuff. So, did it did it go anywhere? Or yeah, so um, we we've had we did a demo. So last week was rough for me because I was gone. 
of San Francisco, but the week before, I think I think it was before, we had a demo with a big company, a fifteen hundred person company, mm-hmm. and. So I, it was more than mock-ups, but it was less than a prototype. So I, I kind of created some HTML pages that demonstrated some of the what things were going to look like, like mm-hmm. what the suggested actions work, the dashboards that the manager looked like and stuff. And, you know, they they kind of got it. They're like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we get it. This seems really interesting. Yeah. We'll let, so, and, and Lola's talked to a number of companies, people who she's who companies and where she has a close relationship with the, with the CEO or somebody. So it's a very... And they're very um, inclined to 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 want to try it or want to use it. So they're all like, "Well, let's let's get like a um, let's get a pilot, let's get it going." Right? Are they going to put money where their mouth is? See, that's the question. I mean, it sounds like they are. Yeah. So the the one thing I kept telling Lola is like, we need the questions and the action items. Like, so we need this sort of question tree and the and the action items. Like, how does that work? Like, I just made them up. I just made up like 40 action items based on questions. It was funny. I made them up because I'm like, I have to have something to show them. Mm-hmm. And we don't have this content created. So we haven't worked with the cognitive psychologist. I'll make them up. But I made them up and I'm like, this actually looks really good. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know if this has any basis. It was all like common sense yeah. stuff, but it looked, it looked really good. And so I, to- I, and I, I showed it to Lola, or actually she didn't see it until we did the demo. And she's like, yeah, like that's really, <laughs> she's like, you didn't get this from the, because she had sent me different like PDFs that were published by XYZ, you know, research group or something and but their stuff was just much more abstract and i just i had to make it with very specific kind of action items and i was like no i just made all this stuff up and so she's like oh really okay well i'm like look i'm happy to make stuff up (laughs) i said but we just can't say it's rooted in cognitive science we just say look these are common sense things if someone says they're stressed you need to potentially take some pressure off them if someone says that they need more so someone says they were they were they'd like a little more recognition or acknowledgement Stop by and say hi, say thanks, you know, tell them we've done a good job, acknowledge them in a meeting, send an email, you know, whatever. If someone says that they're interested in the, the in getting a new project, cycle them off in, into a new project. I mean, these are common sense things. I don't need, you don't need research to tell you these things. And, and you know, a 10-year-old could tell you, most of them. So I'm like, so what I said, it's like, we either need to decide where they're going to work with a cognitive psychologist and they're going to create a, some kind of, scientific basis for this and then you can talk about how we have a cognitive psychologist doing this stuff for us or just say screw it look we do very common sense type of suggestions that a lot of people just don't really think enough about that better work it kind of smells like premature scaling to work with a cognitive like like it's just let's just get it working let's get it in the workplace see what happens and then when you've got some cash coming in then you go and work with that person and you yeah so I'm I, and I talked to my buddy Doug, who I was talking about this the other day, because he worked at a company that was sort of in a similar HR space. So he's just like, yeah, dude, just get it out there. Yeah. He's like, I don't get a bunch of consultants and scientists and this and that. Right. He's like, just you know. Um, so, but she has a friend of hers who wants to work with us this summer, who's a PhD student in cognitive psychology, and and I said, look, let's have a talk with her next week. I want to see what she says, and if she can come up with some stuff really quickly, then we'll do it. But I don't want to spend too much of her screwing around with trying to create some kind of, you know, scientific framework for this. Because it's just, it's, I don't think it's going to buy us anything. I don't think anyone really cares. If they look at the kind of questions and they look at the kind of feedback and it all makes sense to them, that's good enough for them. They're going to be like, yeah, that'd be perfect. That's great. They're not going to be like, well, we have a scientist from, a, you know, Harvard who did that. They're going to be like, oh, whatever, you know, like, it's just they just want it to, they want to be convinced it has a really attractive UI, that it that it's easy for people to use and engage with, that it's going to give them the kind of information 
that their managers the kind of information that's going to help them. So what, what is the status effective. of getting cash from some of those clients? I Really, I just need to build an MVP. Okay. And I've been kind of holding off because I'm just like, well, part of it is I've been just trying to finish all the other projects. Yeah. And I've been, I've been sort of saying, well, look, it's hard for me to kind of build out this infrastructure until we have some kind of a question tree with action items, all this kind of stuff. I mean, what am I, I'm just going to create like, it's hard to create a prototype when you have no content. So you've done, so now that you've done that for the HTML version, you're ready to, I could to build just, it. I mean, like I could just say like, you know what, either I'm just going to make this stuff up based on common sense and we'll just iterate on it and we'll fill it out. Or, you definitely should do that. Or we're going to work with this Congress psychologist, but I don't know. I mean, is she, is she going to get it done in two weeks? Or is this going to be like something that's going to bleed on for three or four months? Because it's going to bleed on for three or four months, the project's going to die. But presumably it's just all configured in arrays and stuff anyway, or in the database. So I would just use something like J- uh, YAML. Yeah. Or something. Just it's, so, just it's easy to edit, so I need to come up with something. Yeah, so just come up with some basic ones and just build it. Yeah. So that's where it is. I just, I just met with her. I was just, since I was just in San Francisco and she's up there, we just yeah. met and you know, hung out for an hour and caught up and everything. And, you know, and so, so how long do you, what's your estimate to actually get that prototype MVP? I mean, I could get an MVP. I mean, it's like, it's a CRUD app with a pretty API and I've done a lot of work already. So maybe 30 to 40 hours of work to get an MVP. Okay. You know, that's, I mean, that's pretty basic. I, I mean, Vortex, which is a product I'd work on before that I abandoned has a lot of the same team based structure and email based communication, everything. So it's like, it's you like eighty percent of cutting yeah. and pasting. Yeah. Okay, so that's empath. So yeah, I got a bunch more things I want to talk about. So let's. Um, yeah, me too. But I mean. first, I want to ask you about uh, Disco. What's this? What's the status on that? You were last time I talked to you. You were super jazzed. You had the madness about. I'm very it. excited. For, yeah. So I'm um, obviously working with Lance and Joanna. It's been awesome. Yeah. And um, basically, we have the designs and the logo. Let me show you the designs here for a second. These are, like, this This is really, like, oh, I wish we'd have had this designer for some of our other projects. What designer are you using? I don't even, I don't even know the person's name, but they're bloody good. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's going to be really, really nice. So just making all that work. Um, I'm doing the, the HTML. It's funny, like, the, you, you got the, all the different phases, like the back-end phase, the front-end phase, making the front-end work as well, like tying the HTML. Mm-hmm. It's quite, each different phase is enjoyable in its own way. Yeah. You know? So, I imagine you're moving pretty quickly since it's just you. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes and no. I mean, I I have l- really limited time on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, like ten hours a week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, it's got. Oh, you know what? What has been really amazing? Have you used Vagrant? No, but I've heard the. I, I is no. Wait, what is Vagrant again? Uh, so- I, I, it's all these like things like Puppet and. Chef and Vagrant. Vagrant is that like compiles all the Va- stuff like Vagrant the- is basically. That was um. It's it's earth sh- It's like it's literally earth shattering for development. It's so freaking good. So what you have is you ha- Vagrant. It basically is a way of configuring a virtual machine with a stack, right? Okay. So, so you you just have this one file which is a Vagrant file, and you mm-hmm. just tell it to map directories from your like it, it's it's literally just a small file. And you mm-hmm. just say, look, this directory on my f- machine is going to be this directory in a virtual machine. Right. So then you get you in the in the command line, you go into the directory and you just say vagrant up. Right. And what it does is it basically downloads the machine, which could be an Ubuntu machine, could be Ubuntu 12.04, whatever you specified in the files. Right. Once again, just a few lines. It downloads the files and it sets up the machine. So now you've got a completely virtual machine 
And then you can you can basically run this provision script mm-hmm. where you basically just run commands like, you know, install Nginx, whatever. So now uh, for, for a developer working with Digidoo, like literally you just put this, you install Vagrant, you put this one file in a directory somewhere and you type Vagrant up and then it just goes and then like, you know, five minutes later you have the entire stack. So is this something that the guys at Digidoo figured out and taught you or is something you want to figure out yourself for well, Disco? It, actually, or? Udi was the first person to show it to me. <clears throat> okay. It, um, and I wasn't working with Vagrant before, but since I've been working with Vagrant, <clears throat> so now I have like a virtual machine for every project. So I've got, yeah. so I, I just go it. And, and the cool thing is, is that you got, you can also do Vagrant SSH. So that will, you, you SSH into the machine. So it's like as if you're SSHing into a right, server. Right, so you have it running on your local machine. Yeah, I I've have like, <clears throat> and the other, th- the other thing that's really cool about it is that you configure what the hosts are in the Vagrant file, right? Okay. So by the, it runs through everything, and then it, ch- it basically inserts those hosts into your host file. Cool. So all of a sudden, everything works. And when you go Vagrant halt, it takes them back out again. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's like literally everything's there for you. So, so it also makes it so easy because you, as you're building the provision script like mm-hmm. to build it, it's the exact same thing for the server. So you just basically take that .sh, which do, you know, which does like apt get nginx or apt get. All oh, right, all that. Crap. You just put it on the server. Boom. You you know you actually it builds the server too. That's nice. So it's just like it's really really sweet. So much a question. How much did it cost for those designs? Because it's really pretty. Um, you know, Any I don't idea? I don't know, but I'll I'll ask I'll I'll ask Lance and um John and I'm not sure that the design is available. As yeah, that's that's they, I mean they clearly get kind of like what the modern web app design yeah um aesthetic is and that's gorgeous and you're going with disco right yeah disco yeah i like that name uh that that way you had a bunch of the names and you said disco i don't like that is there's no question disco is it yeah <laughs> it's a great name it's fun it's easy to say it's easy to remember it's easy to spell um it's not colliding i don't think with any other popular web apps or mobile apps so that's great man have a look at this um this is like the stats page okay yeah yeah, what can I say? It's great. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, so how long is it going to take you before you can have like an MVP? Well, I, I mean, basically, I, I've said to uh, Lance and Joanna, I, you know, it needs to be out and done by the time uh, the, the baby's born in three months. So, three months. It's well, actually you, ten, 10 weeks is now till the baby's born. Yeah, well, that's a good idea, but which means you probably want to shoot for like six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give yourself a month of, oh, yeah, I just got to fix these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've already got quite a lot of it um, working actually. Um, you know, in in the few hours that I've had, um, let me just open this up here. So, like, I've got you know the full Stripe integration. Lar- Laravel does a really good job of. There's there's a. Have you ever used Composer? I haven't. I've heard of it. Composer, I don't know how the hell I missed Composer. It's this thing, it's, it's basically this movement that's been happening over the last two or three years, basically. So you just, you put in uh, composer.json in a directory, uh-huh. right? And you download this this PHP thing called Composer. And in, in Composer, it's like a very set format. And you just say, you know, require this, require this, require this. And everything, it pulls it from GitHub. So let's say it's, let's say it's some class to do with, I don't know, connecting to MySQL or whatever. So... It's the person's name, the GitHub account name. So in there, you say require, I don't know, jvincent slash MySQL plugin. Right. And then you just run, you just do composer update and it just goes and gets it and puts it in a folder called vendor. Right. So now you've got this folder called vendor. But for, but Laravel is really, really plugged into this. 
So it's super easy. So if you want, if you want to use something like uh, this cashier thing, which basically is just built for Stripe, it's it's just it's just yeah, automatically so, plugged into Stripe. You just type, you you add that, go for it. It's all working. It creates the database. See, the, see, I, I, they may have gotten that from Node, but then no, who knows? Maybe Node got it from somewhere else. But Node has the npm, which is a Node package. Oh yeah, manager, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have your your uh, was it the uh, package.json and you just same thing. You list out all your dependencies, and then it just you just say npm install or npm update, and it'll just pulls in everything, right? Yeah. So it's the same kind of thing. I mean, I mean, you know, I don't know where it originated. I'm sure it's it existed in some form or another before Node, but um, Composer may have gotten it. Or PHP may have pulled, seen what was going on with the Node and Node world, and 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 kind of borrowed that concept. I guess the good thing is having already built Plugio, right? There's a lot of things that I know that you need, like, for example, configurable plans. So I've already built all that stuff out. So you can just go to a config file and change the plans and add new plans, mm-hmm. you know, and it kind of, I, I built a, a script that I just kind of copy pasted from Plugio that automatically takes those configuration plans and then through the Stripe API adds the plans for real to Stripe, you know. So um, it's, I mean, at, at this stage, like the infrastructure of the user, like, the remember password and all that kind of stuff is done and and the sign up to a plan and pay pay with stripe and all that stuff is done you know the subscription stuff so and then now i'm kind of going through and actually building the app you know the core functionality so that's right that's where i'm at yeah cool all right well we got a new project to follow along with yeah um so i want to ask you another question go on what's the status with soylent you you sent me a you sent me a provocative email or Skype chat like a couple weeks ago. You're like, Soylent's coming out like any day now or something. And well, what's it's funny. I was I was so kind of impatient about the Soylent not getting here that I actually bought some DIY Soylent. I found I found a guy on the Soylent forum uh-huh. who basically called Axe Axe or something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he I kind of like specified Soylent. Have you seen the whole Soylent DIY thing? Have you seen the way it works? No. So they have this um. It's kind of a complicated, like, a piece of software on the Soylent website, right? And uh, you can go in, and it's kind of like an Excel spreadsheet. And it, it starts off with uh, the amount of, like, the kind of you know, FDA recommendations. And you, like, plug in different ingredients, and you try and get it out. So you, there's, they create lots of different recipes, and the recipes are voted and all the kind of stuff. But it's it looks kind of, you know, difficult to work with and kind of annoying. But I noticed that this one guy had, been do, had done a lot, and he... If someone else had asked, you know, is anyone selling their DIY Soylent? So he started selling it. So he sold it to loads of people on the Soylent forum. Right. So he said, he, uh, I bought uh, two weeks worth. Okay. Right? And I said, look, you know, he's, he's, he's like, it, basically he's like, okay, you know, how big are you? How many calories do you want a day? How much weight do you want to lose? Like just everything. So I just said this, this, this. And he said, okay. So he took all that and like, and, I, and he said, what kind of flavor do you want? I said, I want a kind of vanilla, you know, basic bland flavor. So he took it and he plugged it all into the spreadsheet and then he said, okay. And then he made, made up the stuff, weighed it out like, you know, like a Coke dealer. <laughs> like a so drug he dealer. did it manually. Himself. Everything. Oh, manually. Everything. Okay. Yeah. Everything. And um, so he sent it to me and I, you know, I tried it. And uh, uh, it, the, the initial taste wasn't bad. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But the aftertaste was fucking disgusting. <laughs> I mean, oh, it was really? unbelievable. Like, so, so I, I just couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't do any more than one taste. Oh you know? wow! It was like, it. I, I thought that it was nice, but then then it like it was like eating. It's like really bad. But like the aftertaste, it didn't. It didn't have. And like 
the after, let's put it this way. I tasted it. It tasted really good. I went to the forum and I said, oh, that tastes really good. And then about half an hour later, this aftertaste came in that was like, oh, what the F is that? It's like really disgusting. So, um, so I'm really looking forward to the official soylent because I've right. heard, because, you know, the, the people who are talking about it say it tastes actually pretty good. Um, it tastes a lot like uh, a vanilla kind of shake kind of concept. Very, very simple. Yeah. So easy to down. See, the, the, you know, I, I guess there was another ma- uh, article that came out, like, you know, the New Yorker or something, New York Times. I, and I, 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 I was reading the comments on Hacker News. And, and a, again, it was the kind of thing where people try and live off of it or they, they come up with these, they create this kind of straw man argument like, like, why would anyone want to eat this? And it's in, in, in eating with people and in, in preparing food is such a important social, cultural um, activity. And, you know, and so it's, that's not totally not the point of it. It's like it's totally just, red hair. Yeah, it's like there are the thing is that there are a lot of meals that are like that, but a lot of meals where it's like, I'm going to eat fast food or I'm going to eat a peanut butter sandwich or I'm going to eat a bowl of cornflakes. And it's like, I would rather have something that's healthier and actually give me less calories. All the people who are like, and there's a lot of us out there who are anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds overweight to 50 to 100 pounds overweight, who are like, you know what? If I could shave off 500 to a, you know, or maybe a couple thousand calories a week by not having a ham sandwich by myself and having a soil, having a, a soylent shake or not having a bowl of cornflakes and shaving off 200 calories because I had this healthier thing, that's a win-win. It's not like, oh, we have our family gets together and we have this big meal and instead we're having this big social family bonding experience while we're eating soylent. Like, no, that's not what it's replacing. It's replacing these these largely these kind of meals that you eat usually quickly, that are you know, a lot of times you consume more calories than you want or need, but you just it's like it's just kind of like it's hard not to consume any calories, you know? I've been following this one guy called Van Clute. Uh that's his uh his silent name on discourse anyway okay so he and he's been putting up youtube videos and he's like one of the one of the lu- lucky ones I'll, I'll talk to you about the whole way that they've been dis- distributing okay. this in a minute because it's ridiculous but anyway he's one of the lucky ones he lives in san francisco so he he got his first and he's been chronicling his experiences with it and he's been talking about stuff that i would not have thought that someone was going to talk about for example he had said that he's sleeping like he so he eats two to three meals a day he, he still eats real food you know they call it muggle food. Muggle? Uh, muggle. It's, it's, a, it's a thing from Harry Potter, like muggles are people who don't do magic. Okay. So anyway, they, they, he still eats real food, but he's been saying that his sleep patterns have completely changed. Like he used to wake up groggy. He totally doesn't wake up groggy anymore. You know, his mm-hmm. mind is, is sharper and um, he just has very, very steady level energy. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's very, very interesting for him. Yeah. So he he does, he does two meals, regular meals, and one soylent a day. No, he does. He basically does three. He does full soylent, but maybe once every couple of days he'll have a meal. Oh, really? Yeah. See, so the way I would probably do it is sort of as a, a weight loss thing. So if I, I want to lose about fifteen twenty pounds, yeah. So I'd be like, okay, and rather than going to you know Chipotle. And having a couple of tacos and, and, and consuming probably, you know, three or four or 500 calories more than I should, I'll have a soylent. I would do that three days. You know, I'd probably go out to lunch three days a week instead of seven days a week. And then maybe maybe um, four out of my seven breakfasts, I might have soylent. And then maybe, you know, a couple nights like Wednesday nights when I go play soccer games, I don't eat with Sandy because I come back too late. I'd have a soylent after as opposed to having a bowl. That of makes a lot of sense. So I, those I kind think, of meals yeah. where it's like, 
it's not like, hey, I would have been having a. I a, do. A, I think I do pretty much most breakfast and lunch, you know, and like, yeah, I, I, I just. You're not losing anything. There's not like, wow, this was such an enjoyable, yeah, refreshing you know, I, experience. I want to just keep the social meals, you know, yeah. like dinner at night, you know, or maybe the occasional breakfast with Georgie, yeah. like, and then weekends. But the, but then the rest of them, something the, like the throwaway meals. Yeah, the throwaway meals. Yeah, have the soiling, which means which you could probably shave off quite a few unnecessarily calories, calories that you didn't even miss, but then they start to really add up. So listen to the the way that they rolled this out, okay. right? They in in the Kickstarter campaign, they said you can add to it. You can you can add like they there was only a month available in the campaign, but you could keep on adding. So some people had like six you know sixteen months, like or you know a year's worth. So they decided that the way they were going to roll this out was they were going to fulfill them in largest order first, and this is the way that they're doing it. So like the first week, you know, they sent out to like I don't know ten people who had ordered a year. Mm. So the, so the first tweet, so everyone who's been waiting for this thing for a year, right? The first thing that they see on Twitter is, I got my Soylent. And it's like someone sitting on an absolute pile of Soylent, right? They've got like a hundred boxes of it and no one else has any. Right. <laughs> and so they kept, they kept on going that way. So think about, think about like the, the stack of that, like the triangle of yeah, that. It, sh- it probably should have been more people who were on the <laughs> longest, spending their waiting longest, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know, but like, so, so in other words, you know, they de- by the time they delivered to the top hundred people, they delivered like twenty thousand boxes. You know, some like some really like the, the the math of it was just kind of ridiculous. And the theory that they were that they were saying was, well, you know, if we give to the large orders first, then we don't have to refill those people till later. But that so, that doesn't. I mean, what you're going to give on shipping? You're going to give someone a year's worth of soylent so that you don't have to because they're they're saying that by the time they get down to the bottom, when the people reorder. Like if so, if you just give someone a month's worth, they'll reorder in a month. So the people who'd ordered a year, they're not going to reorder for a year. So you don't have to worry about them for a year. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of it was it was bizarre. So so they're so they're still even now, like after they've been going for a month of pushing this stuff out, they're still working on people's orders who uh, have ordered two months. They haven't got below the two month range. So I posted on the forum, you know, why don't they just refactor this concept? Why don't they do like a lazy load? You know, mm-hmm. so like they'll, they know how, you know, they know what their production is. So let's say their production is 10,000 units or let's say a thousand units a week, mm-hmm. something small. Why don't they just send it out to a thousand people, you know, just pick the first thousand people off the list and then start fulfilling them on a monthly basis. And then when they can do like 1500, then they, they can send it out to 1500. So, you know, from the word go, they would have a thousand people tweeting about it. But the way that they did it, they had like three people tweeting about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I would even just, I would go breadth first instead of depth first. I would say, look, we're going to refill the full people who've been on the list the longest first. But just so you know, we're giving you a two weeks worth of, or a month worth. But if you, our recommendation is don't go full soiling because we may not be able to get you a second order in for two or three months because we have to get to everybody else. So that way people can dip their toe in and be like, okay, you know, I kind of wanted to go full so- soiling, but I'll just do the occasional breakfast and lunch for a while until I can get some more and maybe do it. But, but yeah, that way everybody can test it out and get much broader. But the way that they've done it, they've got 50,000 people mad at them. Like, you know, why the hell haven't I got my soiling yet? I've been waiting a year, you know, and, and, and then the first <laughs> the first tweets about it are people sitting on mountains of Soylent. <laughs> yeah. I, unless there's something I'm missing, it sounds to yeah. me kind of like uh, somebody who's thinking of it as some sort of like, as, as like an engineering optimization problem, as uh-huh. opposed to a uh, people publicity 
uh, management problem. Yeah. Right. Like they're just, that's why I'm seeing a bunch of engineers in a room. They don't think like they're dealing with real humans and how humans are going to react and how you people are going to feel about it and how people are going to communicate about it. You know? Oh yeah. So, so the only people they said it to were people from the press and the people who ordered the really large orders. So there were people from the press who got it like maybe a week's worth and they tweeted about it. Yeah. And there's people with really large orders sitting on mountains of it. And yeah, then the, the common man <laughs> doesn't get it. Well, it's not the common man, so even people who have been longtime supporters. Yeah, yeah. People were part of the Kickstarter campaign from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of stupid. I mean, but you saw the guy interviewed. I mean, he's kind of a, you know, your typical computer nerd. So right. he's like probably has no sense of like, hey, this is actually going to piss people off. Well, I mean, I, like, <laughs> he has so, no, he has no I, EQ, what they call it, he has no EQ, you know? Right, right. He's like, yeah. oh, he's just thinking like people are, this is just a math problem. Like, yeah. no, people are not going to you know be happy about that so well so what so what do we what do you think it's gonna be another month what do you, you have any guess four to six weeks i mean it, it could it could be as much as six months i mean because that because they're yes. filling out that because obviously if you think about the way the pyramid goes i mean there's just there's just a lot of soil and ordered when people have ordered two months or three months or four months i mean i don't know how long it's gonna be it's really annoying so um I want to. Oh, so one of the big topics I want to talk about. Um, my big talk. Well, it's, this is as a combo related talk topics. But so I want to just recap the math team for the year. Oh yeah. So I, I think I told you that I, mean, I talked about on the show how you know I've been coaching the math team for the my the fourth grade math team. Yeah. And one of my goals was to place them out of fifth grade math. So the reason to place them out of fifth grade math is so that we could have them next year. They didn't have to go to the regular, they would not have to go to the regular math class. So we wouldn't have to do it at lunch. We would come at a normal, ma- at like a normal time of the day. They'd come out of their class, work with us. They wouldn't have to juggle. It wouldn't be like extra or an addition. Yeah. Yeah. Homework. And, um, and also if we're out of fifth grade math, then it's sort of like, there's no pressure on us. Right. We can kind of do what we want. So the problem was, is like about a week and a half before we're this we we're gonna get the assessment i got a peek at the test and it was it was it was for all the new common core standards yeah did i mention this to you well i mean i know a lot about those because we obviously have to do them for digidu yeah so the the common core i mean you could probably say a lot about it but one thing about the common core is is it's sort of depth first as sort of breadth first so before the standards were fourth grade you did a little bit of you know fractions and decimals and long division and stuff like that but then you did some geometry and some number theory and some probability and some statistics so it was kind of cool like you yeah. got to do a lot of things and, it, and interesting things. it was interesting but now it's just like we're going to do fractions when in, in in decimals and percentages and to over and over again but we're going to really and, and like we're going to put them in 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 um word problems because they're di- because i think well that i mean i don't necessarily agree with it but i think they're trying to create mastery well, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create and develop a, a deeper conceptual understanding of it. But the way I, I see it is that kids aren't really going to think about this stuff. I mean, that will come over time. Well, we were, I mean, we already saw that with Catalyst. Like, that's exactly the problem, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't want to go deep into stuff. They're just, they're, they're, I guess it depends on the age, right? Common Core goes across yeah. the whole yeah. of K-12. But certainly the young ones, they don't want to get into I it. I hate it. You hate it, it is so boring. Yeah. And um, so I looked at this, but the problem is our kids, are we, I taught the kids essentially all of pre-algebra, right. all the way up to eighth grade. Yeah. Which sounds like a lot, but it's actually not that much because there's not that much material. <laughs> so, but we covered all of that in like a couple of months in addition to preparing for these. 
in addition to teaching them problem solving techniques to, for these competitions. And, um, but then when I saw the test, I was like, oh no, like we really hadn't spent any time doing word problems, like deciphering word problems that involve fractions and decimals. And so, so you couldn't get them to the fifth grade. Um, so what I did is I had one and I had like two problem sets. So we, we meet Tuesday and Thursday. I had, I got, I had time to get in two problem sets and we went over some sample problems. I tried to create, I, so I took a peek at the test and I got a sense of the kind of problems. I said, all right, well, we're going to have to be able to solve problems like this and like this and like this. And so I created those problem sets and I sent out an email to the parents. I said, listen, it's absolutely critical that you go over this homework with your kid and you make sure they understand each and every one. If they understand and can do these problems, they're going to do well on the test. If they if if they can't, they're going to face plant. And so anyway, week and a half went by. Took the test. About half of them passed. So there was a the about half of them got about a seventy eight percent and up. Mm-hmm. And then, so there was nobody below 78% who, then the next, there was a drop from 78% down to 67%. And then it was in the 60s and then lower 60s. And so, and then I went back and I looked over the homework, the recent homework was turned in. And it was like, it was almost like a 100% correlation. The kids who did the homework completely, and you could tell the parents went over and like the little check marks, they all got 70s and 80s and 90s. Yeah. The kids who didn't got 60s. So it was the way. And I was like, Damn it. I mean, I told you guys, I emailed you three times about this. I said, go over. It's, ab-, you know, I was like very clear, very specific. And I went with the kids. So when I, when I hand out the test to the mark to each of the kids, I said, you know, I went from the top eight. So we, rather than like a class where like everybody's very private about what they got, I'm like, this is like a sport. This is like a game. Everybody knows how, everybody knows your stats. So I'm not playing any games, you know, because the kids tell each other anyway. So it's the point uh, in, in obfuscating or being pretending like it's some confidential. So I'm like, all right, Kent, got a 37 out of 40. Kent, do you work with your dad? Yeah, I worked with my dad. Yep, I saw your homework. Good job. And I went down and I, you could tell, you know, and then I went and said, all right, now all these kids, you're in automatically next year. And the kids who got in the 60s, in the mid and mid and higher 60s, you guys are going to have to take a test again next year at the beginning of the year so you're gonna have to do some work over the summer or we're gonna have to prepare at the beginning of the year might, they might give us like a month at the beginning so they're fifth grade the ones who passed they're automatically in yeah um in in, in your program or yes. so the school said they're good yeah so i i went over i went over the, the test results with the gate coordinator she actually we actually did well compared to the regular fifth grades oh wow even though they'd been preparing for this test all year we still did well and oh, good, i okay. prepared with them i we practiced one week two yeah. days <laughs> we got like two days of practice that's good um but um i was still kind of annoyed because i thought everybody should have had did have done better and if i had just had like even three weeks to prepare everybody would have gotten like everybody would have gotten a's 75 percent. yeah yes i mean no we would have, i mean even the, i mean 75 percent of the class would have gotten it every if I, we had had three weeks everybody would have gotten at least a b plus or an a oh, okay great no question um i i don't think i mean it, and so um but i went down and, and i said all right now Everybody was 60. I said, all right, so did you, you know, and I went for it and I said, you got to get a 30, you know, you got a 27 out of 40 or you get a 25. I'm like, did you study? I'm like, no, not so much. And I'm like, yeah. I said, all right, guys, so here's a, this is a good lesson. If you want to do well, you do the work. Every one of you has the natural ability. If you do the homework and you take it seriously, you'll do well. If you don't, you won't. It's, you know, and so it was a good lesson. And there, we're going to have two, it looks like, 
two kids did or three kids did poorly enough that the gate coordinator, uh, Miss Stuckey, was like, yeah, I don't think I don't think, you know, they can't even be part of it. She's like, yeah, I don't I don't I'm not sure that's and which is funny or not funny. One of them is, is moving back to Korea. And so I think she just kind of tanked it because she didn't really yeah. care. Yeah. And, and she kind of she admitted as much. And then um, the other two boys had been kind of not wanting to do it this year. They could, they were doing it more because their parents want them to do it. Yeah. And then when I said, all right, now everybody who got in the 60s, you'll need to take a test to fall immediately. They're sh- shaking their head like, I don't, I don't want to do that. And so I was like, fine. You know, I mean, not everybody would want to do this. Not everybody wants to. They, they would rather coast in regular math. You know, and, and that's fine. Yeah. I'd rather pare it down to just the kids who, you know, I mean, we'll still have 16 or 15 or 15 kids instead of 18 or something, which is actually easier for us. But you really just want, you don't want to pull people along who don't really want to do it. No. I mean, I'd rather like, let's let them go do their thing. If they're good at math, but they just don't want to do it, then it's fine. But it's funny. We want this one girl, Sophia. She had been not really wanting to do it. And she kind of was half-assing her homework. And then her... It turned out that she had not been doing homework for and her parents didn't know. And when finally I happened to talk to her dad, who I'm friendly with, and he's like, what? She said, no, I'm like, no, she hasn't turned homework in like a month. And he's like, so he made her go back and do all the homework. She got in trouble, right? <laughs> and she's normally like an A student. And anyway, so she did homework for the rest of the year. Just, you know, like a bunch of extra studying. We just did it. And she got the second highest test in the class. <laughs> I'm like, Sophia. That's awesome. I was like, <laughs> I am so proud of you. Well, of course, she was just beaming, right? Yeah. Because she didn't even make the math field day team, the top 10, you know. And so, but it's so great to see these kids. That's interesting. And they do well. And so her dad and her parents are excited. She was just like super excited. But anyway, so now, now today we're going to go to the, um, we're going to the bath team barbecue. So one of them, Riley's mom, you know, right? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So they're, they're her, his parents, they're, they're going to host a barbecue. So all the kids are going to come. What time's that? that? 530. Nice. So we're going to go and hamburgers, not dogs and everything. And one of the things they wanted to talk about was like, what do we do for the summer? Yeah. And so I've been thinking about a lot and, you know, I've done a lot of research on what they call the summer slide. You know, the kids, you lose an average of about two months, two to three months. So normally they talk about the summer slide when it comes to reading and stuff. And like, it turns out like upper middle class kids and upper class kids usually gain in their reading because they read over the summer. Whereas lower income kids lose, huh. but everybody loses math because nobody does any math over the summer. Yeah. But I was thinking, I was like, you know, the problem is if I start assigning homework or doing stuff, the kids are just going to resent it and be like, well, what happened to the game? Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. The game, the math game, the card game. Yeah. The name, did I ever told you the name of it? No. Battle math. Oh, Battle Math. Nice, nice. Actually, it wasn't my name. Uh, a friend of mine, James. We interviewed him on the show. He was the director of research for um, this high fruits trading firm. Remember we interviewed him? Oh, yeah, yeah, James? yeah. So we become buddies, and I go up and have lunch with him. Um, a lot of times I'm up in San Francisco. And he, when he heard about it, he's like, I love that idea. That is awesome. And when I Well, started, so how far have you got with it? So I, um, I did a lot of work on it, but then about a month ago, four to six weeks ago, I, I stopped, and I just was trying to focus on getting these other projects done. I mean, I just had so much to do. And so now I'm like, okay, now I'm clearing all this other crap off my, off my, off my, um, you've got room for more crap. Do list. Now, like the summer, <laughs> the, what I really want to do is I want to build this battle, battle math game. over. Yeah. Summer. Okay. And I'm thinking this would be the perfect thing. It's like, what we could do is maybe once a week we could get together at like, I mean, an ice cream store, like go to penguins or something like, all right, guys, we're going to have a math tournament and we're going to ice cream. <laughs> I mean, right? Nice. It would if that's the kind of thing that 
they would love. Yeah. It would allow me to test out the game, but it, then it would like, it would be just enough reinforcement over the summer that they wouldn't lose anything and they'd probably gain. And they wouldn't be like, oh, my mom is, my dad is making me do worksheets over the summer, you know, and you don't want to burn kids out or make them resent it or, you know, you want them to be like, you know, make it fun. And the kids, if one kid is like in a game challenging with, you know, like, okay, I'm attacking what's the problem. You got to solve it. And the winners get like ice cream or wood there. They get something special. And the kids love that. I mean, they love competing. They love games and they love ice cream. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So make it, you have to trick them. Yeah, you, you just you, I mean, there's a, there are all, there are ways to make things unfun, which is how most things are. And there are ways if you put enough creative thought and little energy, you can make things fun. That's awesome. Do you I'm like looking, the name Battle Math? Yeah, I like it a that's lot. That's good. Yeah, I think it's really good. Yeah, when James told me that, I'm like, yeah, that is good. I like that. Battle Did you math. get BattleMath.com? I don't think I've. Got, I, I think it might be taken. I don't know. Yeah. But um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna work on that. I um. I. Uh, yeah, that's that's my big it's fun project. The things that I want I want to spend some time on. Awesome. Um, so next year, but I'm because I'm really excited about next year. But now I have ten weeks or eleven weeks. I can't do anything because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I want to start teaching them, you know, algebra, and I want to teach them more probability, and I want to, you know, and I have this idea of teach start to teach them some basic physics. You went to know some equations and all this kind of cool stuff. But then I was like, you know, but thinking about it, not being able to do it, just just frustrating. But I'm thinking, oh, I'll work on the battle math game. Which will, which we can do this summer. Yeah, and it'll kind of keep me. That's great. Know, kind of focused in on that, and then I ordered this book, which looks really interesting. I was talking about it's all the latest. It compiled. There's these two professors from Washington University, and it compiles all the latest learning, uh, our, our research on on learning theory, mm-hmm. like what works and what doesn't, like how you learn and how you. You know, and it was, as I've been re- researching, I actually even read some of their articles and stuff. And so I'm incorporating that all into kind of the stuff that I'm going to try and do. Like, you know, for instance, you know, we've talked a lot about like mass learning doesn't work. Like you, you keep, you, you have to kind of space it out the distributed practice. Yeah. And it works better that rather than I give you like five or 10 problems at the same type, I give you one or one problem and then I give a problem a completely different topic. And then I come mm-hmm. back, interleave it. And then of course, as we know, like just reading something like reading your notes doesn't help. You have to be asked questions. You have to, it's the act of retrieving the information that burns it in your brain, not rereading it. Interesting. You know, and so there's all these things. So it's a whole book on it. It's gotten like five stars from like 18 different reviewers. It's like, well, that's cool. So I'm really interested in like, in, and I had some ideas on how to do this. Like one, one idea I thought of, yeah, I was thinking of yesterday was like, you know, come up with games, like what we can do in class. Because you know how I said, like, I, I kind of was relying on the parents to, to help review the homework, help the kids with the homework. But now I'm starting to realize that that's a bad idea because there's always a third of the class whose parents are just not going to be on top of them, you know, which sort of surprised me. I mean, I would have thought that the parents would be not like, you know, whipping them on the back with their homework, but they would just like, hey, let me just, you have any homework? Let's see. Did you finish it? Let me make sure you got some of these right. You know, just kind of check in for five minutes, you know, but they're not. And these are like educated people. This isn't like, you know, I would like. I'm just sort of shocked. And they're the same people who are real enthusiastic about the math. Thing. You just reminded me about a topic, but uh, when, you, when you're done with this, let me know and I'll uh, go okay. into it. So, um, so where was I? Um, yeah, so anyway, one, the one idea I had for, a, ga- for a, a game in class was like divide them into teams of two and, and each team member is part of either group A or group B. You teach, for five minutes, you teach group A a technique and, and for uh, like a, a new topic and, and you do the same with group B. 
And then what they do is they have 15 minutes or something to teach their teammate the technique. Yeah. Right. So they have to do problems and stuff. And then you separate them out on both sides of the room, group A, people over here, group B if you're on the other side of the room. And then you give out problems and they and they, their team only gets a point if both of them get it right. Nice. So they have to figure out how to articulate and explain how this thing works. And they have to learn like, oh, like my teammate, do this problem, dude, because if you don't, if you get it wrong, we're going to get a point. Neither I need to prove to yeah. me that you understand what I just explained to you, you know? Yeah. Or, or they start explaining like, oh, I thought I understood this. Maybe I don't understand it, you know? And then, um, and then, you know, when we give out Jolly Ranchers or whatever. So it's like coming up with like fun games like that. Because one thing I've noticed is that they, well, you can get a lot of work done in class. And if you do that, you don't have to do as much homework, which they don't like doing. They like doing work in class. It's more fun than listening, but they don't like doing homework. And if, and they like competing and they like games and they like Jolly Ranchers <laughs> as prizes. So just do lots of games like that. Yeah. You make a little competitions and stuff. Do what they like. Yeah. You know, and uh, so anyway, I'm going to read this book. I think it's supposed to arrive today, and I'm really looking forward to like incorporating, you know, all these things we've talked about: distributed practice, spiking the forgetting curve, and you know, there's all these things. But there's a lot of misconceptions about like what works and what doesn't, and um, a lot of things we've covered, you know, we've read about. Yeah. But anyway, so you wanted to bring something up? Yeah. So, um, you know, ha- having a baby. Having uh, a baby. You know, may, like, <laughs> like th- th- thinking about that. And yeah. um, the interesting thing about it is like you, you have a baby and if they have kids, you know, that's more people that came from you. And then if they have kids and if they have kids. Right. So I have to think about this concept like you, Jason, right? Have You've got three kids mm-hmm. and you've got the potential of in about 10 generations time, there being like 3000 people <laughs> from you, right? Mm-hmm. So like Jason Nation. Right. <laughs> so, Jay, so I, I was thinking, like, almost you could take the theory of like writing a constitution mm. for your line. Like, let's let's write a constitution for the Jason Nation. <laughs> <laughs> like, how how does this how does this how is this line going to behave? Like, what's it going to do? What are what are the values that I'm going to try and instill in these kind of three thousand people? Mm-hmm. What do you think of that concept? Yeah, it's kind of what we call DNA. <laughs> right. No, I mean it, it's it's DNA, but like, I mean we. Like, I don't, th- no one in my chain, you know, going, going up back, you know, I don't know, 10 generations, no one kind of did anything that kind of passed any ideas down through that chain of people. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, it's something that we don't really do, we don't think about. But I was wondering, why don't we, you know, couldn't, couldn't you kind of create a set of ideas, a set of ideas that you share with Colby and with, with your other kids? Even a document, like like yeah, a, like it would have to be something like recorded. a constitution, right? Yeah, and then and then that gets passed down through the through the generations. So by the time there's like three thousand of those, like oh, the, you know, this there was some thinking up the tree. To- yeah, I mean that's 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 cute. Uh, the thing is, though, as soon as you get to a kid who doesn't care about it, then they're like, I think that's stupid. Well, that's fine. I mean, you know, there be some dead they, they don't care there. about it. I mean, but but if if you instilled some 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 game, you know, some gamification, and it made it fun, like you know. If it was a good document, an interesting and fun document, it might actually stand the test of time. Yeah, give it a shot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, leave something for posterity. Are you thinking about writing something? No, no, I just, I just, it's just an interesting idea to think about, like Jason Nation, right? This, this, this thought that, I mean, three thousand people is a lot to come from you, you know. Well, I think it's some huge percentage of people are related to like uh, Till the Hunt or something like that, or or, or, or. 
Genghis Khan or something. Okay, like that. so like, so in, in that context, there like a quarter of everyone in China is related to Genghis <laughs> Khan or something like that. That's crazy. Yeah, I can't remember what the number is, but there's there I, you know occasionally hear those numbers pop up on like a, some History Channel show, and they go through. They did some like um, they, they went to China or, or I think you're specifically in Mongolia, and they were doing like a DNA test to see how many people were related to to uh, I don't know, Genghis <laughs> Khan or something, and it was like a quarter of all people or something. It's almost like a viral concept, you know? Like, could you could you get a vi- like a mental virus into your kids that gets passed down? Well, people try it, you know, they do as much as they can to get their kids. I mean, I mean, that's kind of what religion is, right? In a way. Yeah, to a certain degree. Religion and just tradition. Yeah. Right. That's what the that's what, you know, family traditions or cultural traditions are. Obviously, religion has been very tied into, you know, to cultural traditions. That's essentially what it is. Yeah, I'd I'd heard of one story. I don't know if I ever mentioned this in the show where like this is like an example of that, like where whenever they cooked turkey they chopped the they chopped the end of it off yeah and why do they do it why do they do it and, and then and finally the great grandmother didn't have a big enough yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's why you know what you know why like, why do we chop that off yeah oh. why, why why does our family do that <laughs> so i had i had, an, I had a thought uh the other day i was thinking about you know how you always hear about um everybody loves to use the occam's occam's razor to debunk a certain theory or argument so you, hacker news it comes up at least once a week where someone yeah. says oh by Occam's razor you know that can't be true or whatever right because that's the because that's more complicated than yeah. this other alternative explanation which is simpler mm-hmm. um but it, it occurred to me that Occam's razor is essentially a logical fallacy in the same way that pill to authority is a logical fallacy so uh, a pill to authority is you know where we say oh I could say something about, you know, physics or biology and say, well, this scientist says it's true. This biologist says it's true. So therefore, it's true. Well, it's more likely that that scientist is right about that subject than, say, a layperson. But it doesn't mean it's true. doesn't mean it's true. It's just, improbab- it's just increased probability. You know, if a physicist says X, you know, you know, therefore, it's true. But the reality is a lot of physicists don't agree. And, there, and somebody's at home are going to turn out to be wrong on certain theories. Um, likewise, it's just a probability thing. It's like, so you say, well, so if you went on Hacker News or some other, you know, discussion forum and you're arguing about something and you said, well, blah, 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 you know, Michio, Michio Kaku says this about this. We'll say, well, that's appeal to authority, logical fallacy. It doesn't actually prove the argument. It's not, you know, you know, using deductive, it's not a deductive argument or whatever. Um, it's, it's a statistical syllogism and, but Occ- Occam's razor is a statistical syllogism. It is purely probability based, based only on a heuristic that people tend to think that simpler arguments, and they probably is true, but it's hard. It's like almost impossible to go out and do an actual study. Well, in a it. sense, Occam's razor is an authority, so it kind of falls into the appeal to authority and, well, and that, you know, in that yeah, way. I mean, even some abstract sense, but anyway, it's just funny. Nobody, it's like everybody is, you know, it's everybody's very quick to use to a, to pull out the logical fallacy to debunk an argument, but everybody's all likewise. But then the Occam's razor is like the Trump yeah. card for everybody. It's <laughs> like you can't use it as a Trump card because it is a statistical syllogism. It is not concrete, uh, a concrete, you know, di- you know, piece of evidence. I think I agree with you. Yeah, that was interesting. I just yeah. like, I was just kind of like a, 
I'm like, is there any cognitive dissonance going on? Like, we're using co- we're, we're, all the same people who tend to use Cockham's razor talk about logical fallacies all the time. You realize that is a logical fallacy. With the way so you're going to start going around hacking news and like posting, no, 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 you can't use that anymore. Well, this is my version to talk about on the show. <laughs> I don't get ever, do you do, I don't get into like debates. Just a, I, I rarely, you it's know. It's a total yeah. waste of time. Yeah. It's yeah. a total time sink. And everybody gets all snarky. And well, if it's, gets, if it's my, if, if I posted the blog post, then I probably would. But yeah, but I mean, I don't get it. There's plenty of times I read stuff and I'm like, this is stupid or whatever. But I'm like, if I get into this, it's just going to waste hours of my day. Did you know that middle initials make you seem smarter? <clears throat> oh, do they? Yeah. If you, if you, if you um, sign an email or write a, write something and you have a middle initial, it'll make you seem smarter. Do mine say Jason Roberts or Jason C. Roberts? So, um, a European Journal of Social Psychology study by Van Tilburg and Igu. <laughs> the study included 85 students from the University of Limerick, and students were set into four groups. Each group read the same text, but slightly different variant uh, of author names. So it was authored by David Clark, David F. Clark, David F. P. Clark, David F. P. R. Clark. The students thought that David F. Clark, who scored an average of 5.8, was a better writer than David Clark, <laughs> right. even reading the same piece of text. And uh, David FPR Clark scored a mean of six in the test. So he PR. So if you have two initials, yeah, so if the more initials you have, the the better it goes. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's like a a plateau. Like if you have eight initials, it's, it's, it's asymptotic. It's all, but yeah. but like yeah, David FPR Clark got a lot you know much better score than any of the other ones. Yeah, I I, I tend to sign Jason C. Roberts. I think I might go with Justin G.H. Vincent. I yeah. Think, yeah, I think so. Maybe. <laughs> you have a second middle name? I have two. You do? Yeah, I can What take, are your middle names? Uh, Graham and Hugh. Graham Hugh? Yeah. Justin Graham Hugh Vincent. Yeah. Okay. Cool. G.H. You can just call you G.H. <laughs> <laughs> but what is G.H. old boy. What do you think? Do you think, it's, do you think that's worth considering or do you think that's just a silly, a silly hack? Considering doing that now? Like, who do you want people to think you're smarter? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think the people you know or whatever, it's kind of like baked. No, but it's like it's like a rebrand, rebranding Justin. I am now Justin G H Vincent. Yeah, it's it, you know it's, it's, it's going to come across like you ever this kid like in school <laughs> who's changed his name, like he decided he didn't like his first name and changed it to his middle name. Yeah, and it's just kind of annoying. Yeah, don't call me Charlie, call me Graham, or don't call me. You know, you're just like. Ugh. Break. I was one kid every year. He because he obviously didn't like his name Barry, and so he changed it to Bear and Baron. Like for two, three years in a row, I kept it, changing it. In your school, when you yeah, were, when I you was were like a kid. fourth yeah. and fifth and yeah. sixth grade, and you just you just had to roll your eyes. Like, Give me a break. Yeah, but I think it's fair enough to not like it. I mean, I I do like my name, so I don't really mind. But uh, I, I yeah, but I mean, but but the people uh, the way other people. React just, to it is they're just kind of roll their eyes like, give me a break. I guess just like when you move to a new town, that's your chance to do it. I guess. Well, you know what happens <laughs> sometimes when people go to college or they move to, you know, that that was that's that's why college is the first time people, they're still young and they're still trying to figure out where they are, and but then now they're away from home and they can kind of reinvent themselves yeah, a bit. Yeah. But that also happens. You can just move to a new city or whatever. So a couple of things I wanted I wanted to uh, back on the on the on the math thing I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. It was um it was kind of interesting. I was I was reading this article, um, and it was talking about um, it was oh actually it was article it was a question on on like math overflow, and the guy was saying that he wanted to, he 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 liked math but he didn't like doing proofs. He liked solving problems, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And 
And math overflow is mostly populated by mathematicians or mathematicians in training. And the most of them piled on this one comment. They all vote up for this one response where the guy was like, you know, if you don't like proofs, that's what math is. What you're talking about doing is just arithmetic. And, and, and if you don't understand math, then, cause the guy, cause the guy was saying that he wanted to be a, a math teacher and they're like, don't be a teacher. If you don't really understand math, you don't, the math is about math proofs, about doing proofs and you're going to do damage to the kids. And it was just this so really the, the theoretical version of math. But I was like, you know, as it would, cause from my perspective, I'm like, so what you're saying is the math that all these engineers and physicists do is arithmetic. <laughs> so you're telling me the math that Richard Feynman does is, is arithmetic. You know, the, all the math that puts, you know, satellites into space, that's just arithmetic, <laughs> you know? So if I'm not approving some theorem, you know, that's arithmetic. It's like, it was it's such a patronizing bullshit argument because it's like, um, why didn't you weigh in? I'm going to get in, you know, again, here's my chance to respond. <laughs> but I mean, and I think it was like, a, it was like answered like a year and a half ago or something. And, but yeah. it's just so, it's, it's just, um, and, and the problem is, is that they, they, they spend, in, in high school, they spend a lot of time teaching math proofs, or they spend some time doing it. And even in some in college, and the reality is, is that 99.9% .9 of people who are really good at math still are not going to become mathematicians. They might become biochemists or physicists or electrical engineers or computer scientists or Yeah, or they'll, whatever. they'll kind of use it. In, they'll in use it as a yeah. tool. I yeah. mean, math is a tool. Yes, math is a subject that has beauty and elegance to it, and there are are a, a very small fraction of people in the world who spend time attempting to expand the world's understanding of math. But it's already this massive subject that no mathematician knows even a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of, right? And so spending a bunch of time doing math proofs and teaching people math proofs seems kind of ridiculous, which really what these people need to know is how to solve differential equations, you know, how to, how to do the kind of, how to do, how to, you know, understand, understand physics and probability. I mean, uh, in some weird kind of way, it, it reminds me of <laughs> bootstrapping. <laughs> it's like the, you know, I, it just seems like the practical version of it. Like, you know, like bootstrapping is to venture capital. This, you know, your version of math is to this other version. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that analogy, but I mean, yeah, it's definitely the more practical, but yeah, I mean, I mean, so basically you're saying, you're saying kind of, do the do the parts of math that actually mean something to you right now, rather than just getting into some theoretical concept. Yeah, well, because the thing is, like, when you go to calculus, for instance, and they do a bunch of stuff <laughs> with math, uh, with the definition of the derivative and uh, epsilon delta uh, delta epsilon proofs or whatever, and and people are just like, who cares? Like, nobody understands what the hell. Why are we doing this? There's no yeah, nobody really explains the math, but yeah, it's, it's not, not practical. practical so people yeah. don't understand why they don't get it. Like I don't okay, I don't I don't I don't really I have no intuitive understanding. I don't understand why it's useful. I don't understand the practical aspect of it. Because it's not practical. And it's like and it's like but a lot of mathematicians are like, well, you have to understand it's important to understand why it's true. But it's like, um, you know, when I go to when I take a class in chemistry or in physics, I don't go and reprove physics. I'll take the physicist's word for it that Maxwell's <laughs> equations are right, right? In some way, or the chemistry, I, I, I'm going to take your word for it that the weight of, you know, or the atomic weight of, a, of some element is that, right? To some degree, you're just going to take their word for it, right? Why do I have to prove it? Isn't that funny? Isn't it, right? Yeah. But, when, but the mathematician's are like, well, you have to prove it. And it's like, you know what? Most people are like, it, it's like, 
you know, it's fine if you did it every once in a while, you proved a theorem to show just as to say, this is how math works, but to spend a lot of time introducing every, every new math topic by going through a bunch of proofs. But is, d- d- like, isn't it a bit like the appeal to authority thing you just described? Like, you know, that you're, it, you're just getting this from an authority. So unless you actually prove it, then you don't yeah, but really I'm saying, know. But that's, that's the way most, most subjects work, right? right? Yeah. Most subjects work on, I'm going to have to take the, 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 Word of my teacher, professor, or this. But book. if there's a flaw in it, you you're kind of screwed a little bit later. So, but math is the one subject where you have to prove everything. No, I, I suppose I mean, not. No. I mean, you're sort of. I mean, it's like there there could be a bug in the matrix, right? And it's it's like ten levels up. You know, it's someone yeah, on gonna, someone on someone gonna, on someone. Yeah, but that's going to be resolved by the mathematicians who then would go and be trained as mathematicians to then check right. that stuff. Right? Not. It's not going to be you know, by some, you know, senior in high school studying calculus. I mean, someone needs to check it. Right. right? But it's not going to be <laughs> your 17 be, year old yeah, in yeah, calculus, yeah, right? Yeah, you you yeah. get what I'm saying. Yeah, right? I do. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of a, what I'm saying is it's an utter waste of time when from a probability standpoint, if, if 99.99% of the people who are taking calculus are never going to become mathematicians, have no chance to become a mathematician. What's the point of wasting time doing that? No, uh, yeah, the point that the time should be spent giving, making them better at using tools because some percentage of people who are really good at math are going to become engineers or physicists or, you know, more applied stuff. So by the same token, is it not worth learning machine code? You know, if you're going to be a developer. Well, it's the same thing. It's yeah. like if you're going to be a computer scientist, it's like I'm not sure it makes so much sense to spend a lot of time doing compiler theory and, 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 yeah. and predicate calculus. It's like... That's done, you know. Nobody... It's not, not practical. Is, unless that's what you're going to go study, it's it's sort of... But it's still sure kind it's so of... Wor- I mean, it's still kind of worth knowing, I don't know, see for or pointers, whatever, like these basics, even though they're not really used, it's kind of... In, in well, modern pointers languages. are much more practical. That, that Pointers are not computer science. I mean... Compiler theory is more computer science unless you're building right. a compiler, but hardly anyone's building compilers, so it's kind of... A- but, like, I mean, you, you could you could start programming without understanding binary in the slightest. Yeah, you know? for the most part. I mean, but binary is a little bit... There are options when you do bit, you know, sort of... Um, I know, but, I mean, you, 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 could go a, you could go a career without, yeah. you know, so... Yeah, is, no, is no, I mean, I, I just... I find yeah. that... It's not that I'm saying that doing a little bit of theoretical is okay yeah. just to show them like hey oh by the way you know it's it like a math class hey let's talk about fractals they're kind of neat you're never going to use them yeah it's kind of neat yeah you know unless you happen to be someone who, who does some kind of compression algorithm that uses some fractal algorithm or whatever but it's like but but when you you when it's the core of the curriculum and the and the chance that's going to impact those people is so small it's stupid it's like when they talk about like expected value like the expected value of something is a probability that's going to come true times the payoff. And if the, if the probability is so low, even if the payoff is high, the, the, the expected value is low. Anyway, I just find it's no, because it's, it's, it's just so annoyed when I'm reading all these mathematicians yeah. because they were so patronizing and aggressive. And it's like, what are you guys even talking about? And you guys <laughs> are so smart, but you do realize that all these people in college and high school are never going to use this stuff. And they don't care. But what it does is it makes them... But what you do is you're making them worse at being able to apply these tools that might actually be something that they would need to use in other, you know, jobs. And it ain't, it ain't arithmetic, you know. I mean, differential equations is not arithmetic. It's not something you look down on. It's like something, you know, a, a seven-year-old knows how to do, you know. Anyway, so let me just see if I want to double-check my notes because if there's anything I want to say. Oh, I'll just say this one thing is kind of cute. Um, 
so I, the kids got their 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 report cards. Oh yeah, you know? and Colby and Ari did well. They got A's and B's, you know. And uh, but Izzy, you know, I've taught that she was kind of a slow starter in yeah. reading and math. She got straight A's. Oh wow! And <laughs> Sandy was like, "Izzy, you got straight A's." She's like, "But I'm not smart." <laughs> and I go and I, you know, and I, and, and she's like, but you did get straight A's. You're, you're, you're smart. She's like, but I'm not, I'm not smart. You know, like she refuses to see herself as. Uh, Even though she got straight A's. Like you got A's. Like that's the, good. The, the, there's you know, evidence. You're not a dumb girl. Like, so Sandy keeps trying to give her confidence because she lacks confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think she just, you know, some people just lack a little bit of confidence. I think she's going to people that's going to struggle with that. Huh. And. And I'm part of it was exacerbated. But by the she's going to excel because she did, she's she's so much better than she thinks she is. So she's going to yeah. try harder. Well, Sandy worked with her on her reading and on her math extra, right? Like, you know, but it was funny. Last year, Sandy was halfway through first grade and she just could not read. Colby read in kindergarten, no problem. Hmm. And she, I remember Sandy turning to me one day when she was working with, with Izzy for like a half hour and she's frustrated. And she's like, I don't I don't know what's going on. She's not getting it. Like, I'm actually kind of worried. She didn't know, but it was just like she just picked it up later. And then she, but then eventually started to click. Same thing with math. Like, she was off to a slow start and was really, and Sandy's just like, my God, like, she just doesn't get it. And, but Sandy got these work, special workbooks, a jump math, which are really good um, for anyone who's. There's just no kids. mold, right? Yeah. Well, you know, she's like my brain, which my, my, my uh, advisor from high school used to say, she's like, he's like, he's like, Jason's brain. In Jason's brain, there's no line between total confusion and total understanding. Like, I just <laughs> make this big jump, right? Yeah. And I think it's her. Like, she goes a slow start, and her brain is just all over the place, probably like mine. And all of a sudden, she locks in, and she gets it. Hmm. But the problem is, is that when you spend some time being behind and lacking confidence, then it starts solidifying in your brain that I'm, I'm not smart. Hmm. I'm dumb. You know, yeah, and so that's what I'm telling you this summer. I'm like, I think you should work with her a little more on the third grade math before third grade starts. So when she starts out, it's like she's getting it straight she's away. She's like yeah. the best in the class, and she just aces it. And she's she needs some time to get used to being like everyone else is struggling. It's just totally easy for me to like sort of uh, get a burn a new image of herself in that I'm competent, that I'm smart, that I can do stuff, that I'm not. You know, you don't want her to be like I'm dumb. I guess like <laughs> where this because the I, you know I've been out of town until last night, and so we're in the car this morning. And I said, Izzy, I heard you got straight A's. That's so great. And she's like, Yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> That's funny. She's like, Yeah, I got A's all in a row. <laughs> but I don't know how. It's so cute. That's so cool. I don't know, but um, I just thought that was kind of a kind of funny thing. So all right, um, so we're gonna get the show up. You you're gonna put up a page, texing.live.com forward slash summit. Yep. We're gonna allow people to put in a deposit. We haven't decided the number, but some number, but probably two fifty. Here's what we'll do. Then whatever we do, it'll go towards the food and whatever's, you know, everybody will kind of come up with something that should be a reasonable cost for the food, split among everybody else, everybody total. And if for some reason we undershoot or overshoot, we'll figure out a way to make the difference up. Right. But, you know, either everyone will pitch in money later or for like, we don't need that much and we'll just refund everybody. And if, let's say we ask people to sign up and then it's like, hey, we thought 30 people want to come and we get like seven or something and we decide that's not enough, we'll just refund it. Yeah. Yeah, but that makes sense. We just want to make sure that we don't have a bunch of people say, yeah, I'm doing it in the comments. And then like we get this thing and nobody shows up and it's kind of, you yeah. know, sound fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll make it happen. 
Awesome. Thanks, All man. right. What was your idea? So this is Justin's idea. So, you know, <laughs> hopefully it works out. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.